You're listening to the Oz Movies Podcast, only on the Oz Network. Welcome back, everybody, to the Oz Network, as we are here for another Australia v Canada Month movie, and we're going down under today because it's time to get into Australia. No, we're not doing the Baz Luhrmann iconic movie starring Hugh Jackman and Nicole Kibben. That's coming in 2022. We're here covering the 2006 Hit, well, kind of, the iconic Boy Town. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Whoa, Boy Town. We're Boy Town. Population 2. Because it's just Colin and I. But I'm so excited (laughs) for this movie because this is just a movie that I have loved ever since I saw it at the cinema. It's a movie that I think every single Australian and worldwide movie fan has forgotten about. But we're here today to, I'm going to say, the very first podcast in history to recap 2006's Boytown. I could be wrong. If there's Boytown etc. out there <laughs> or Boytown has a podcast, I apologise. But right now, we're claiming to own that bit and it's going to be a fun recap. My name is Ben Town. I mean, Ben Train. I mean, Ben Time. I mean, Ben-tastic. I mean, Ben, Ben, Ben. No, 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 no. Ben Ahoy. I mean, no, no, no. Sorry. Ben Toy. Uh, and my name is Colin and I wish somebody would write a song about my special time of the month (laughs) oh god boy town yes we're here Um, (laughs) when we first came up with this idea uh, Mallory even said to me like you have to do boy town because she loves this movie and I talked a little bit about last week how this is a movie that I feel anybody I've ever shown it to either loves it or hates it (laughs) And I remember Mallory watching this. Like, I'd gone to bed, I think, because I was going to work the next day. And she's like, oh, okay, I'll stay up and I'll watch this. And I'm thinking, oh, she's going to hate it. She's not going to like this movie. And the next day she's like, oh, my God, I love Boytown. Can we watch it again, like, right now? And I'm like, got to go to work, but okay. Um, and I remember when this came out in 2006, you know, the, the promos leading up to it was basically they showed the clip of them doing the I Cry uh, little song in the rain with the tears in my pillow. That was the only teaser trailer that got released for months. And people were like, what is this? This looks weird. Um, and then it kind of came and went with not much fanfare. And then I think every Australian's forgotten about it. But I saw it at the movies, loved it. And again, this is a rarity. I think we talked about this last week, but to go and see an Australian movie at the cinemas, it's not something that I personally do a lot of. Sorry, Australian film industry. But... Um, yeah, I am so excited to hear your thoughts on this movie. Colin Hilding, I haven't heard any thoughts of this movie until right now. Boytown, what did you think? Okay, I'm just going to say, stick with me to the end. Don't get dis- <laughs> uh, distracted or thrown off here. Um, this is not a good movie. Oh. <laughs> this might, in some, hold on, I said stick with me to the end. This might actually be a downright bad movie in a lot of ways, but there's something very entertaining about the premise of it. And the songs themselves are so funny that even though I had to take a couple of breaks throughout watching this because, you know, I kind of live this, you know, uh, <laughs> uh, mature boy band life or whatever, where it's like time to change a diaper. <laughs> Shake that bottle good. <laughs> Shake that bottle good. <laughs> that's that's my life. So I had a couple Get of breaks throughout this. Get Jamie. And... It's time to be with Colin. <laughs> You got a real man here. <laughs> Let's have a fight in the bedroom, or is it sex? Um, the Leafs yeah, have lost again. The... the Leafs have lost again. Sorry. <laughs> uh, but yeah, throughout a couple of the breaks of this, Jamie's like, so how's this movie or whatever? I'm like, it's not very good, but I'm like, 
this song is really funny. I'm like, I just got to play this song for you. And it's so difficult to find any of these clips on YouTube or anything like that. So I'm like going on and on, like, just wait a minute. I'm going to find just the lyrics. And then, okay, let me just pull up the clip. And I'm playing it for her. And I'm just, you know, throughout eating lunch and stuff like that and getting things ready and, you know, pulling kids off the top of furniture, <laughs> you know, I, I keep going, like singing these songs along. And I'm like, you know, this is so funny. And yet the movie itself, not good, but the song's so good. That, like, I, 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 I think that this is a premise that could have worked really well as like, a series of funny or die videos. But like my issues with the movie aside, I enjoyed this a lot. I probably will go out of my way to watch this again. <laughs> it's just, you know, it's the songs that make it. It's it's such a hilarious premise that, you know, this boy band, this aged boy band makes it big by writing songs about being older and and you know gearing towards the the soccer mom crowd like really funny so yeah definitely enjoyed it but yeah not a good movie <laughs> it's it's definitely a very australian movie because i think as i alluded to last week it's australians are just very good at just poking fun at themselves and kind of just taking certain types of our society and just showing them at their worst but making them incredibly funny and i think that if you ever do get a chance to watch the TV series Kath and Kim, the Australian version, don't watch the American version, um, you know, you'll see what I mean. And you, you said yourself you've, you're a bit of a fan of Full Frontal, which is sort of a sketch comedy show from the 90s in Australia. And, you know, we've, we've got a very storied history of humour. We're very similar to the British, I think, where our humour is kind of on a different level to what you'd be used to saying in America below you, and I'm sure Canadian humour. So it's kind of, it's that. And I think that it's just this this movie is filled particularly the two leads glenn robbins and mick malloy kind of very much every man australian kind of you know people that are just a bit funny bit of a larrikin and just kind of you know silly and that's again what the plot of this is uh this this came off the back there was a movie a couple of years before called cracker jack which essentially had mick malloy in it and it was basically about lawn bowls and how mick malloy you know <laughs> joined a, a, I think it was like a lawn bowl league and played a lot with like old people and just, it was just funny. And then like when we watched the castle in a couple of weeks, you know, again, it's just kind of just that real laid back Australian type of humor. And it, it, it did surprise me that this movie definitely didn't do as well as I thought it could have done. Because again, it's just, it's such a standard Australian comedy film that really is just, it's just funny and just weird. And just like, I can definitely see like, when you say like, it's a bad movie, like, yeah, I can see that, but I've just always loved this movie, so, like, I've just always <laughs> defended it. And I think, so, like, Mick Malloy, he co-wrote this with his brother Richard, and it's got um, Greg Sitch, uh, one of the um, the producers who's part of Working Dog Productions, which Working Dog Productions is a very iconic Australian uh, production company. It's done a lot of comedies. They did The Castle. So when we get to that, um, you know, we'll talk a lot about the director, Rob Sitch, who he was the star of my the greatest Australian television show of all time called Frontline. I talked a little bit about that in our top 50 TV shows of all time last year. So there's all these connections. I think a lot more so than Canadian films that so many of our actors and everything are always going to be in the same things. I mean, um, there's at least one actor in this movie who will be in the castle in a couple of weeks. Um, like Josh Lawson was in this movie. I don't know if you recognize him. Of course, he was one who in Becoming Bond. He was George Lazenby. I... I... Yeah, I saw his name in the end credits because I knew who he was because of becoming Bond. But I'm like, who did he play in this movie? Like, I could, you'll have to 
point it out. When I we will. Get there. And this was like his very first movie role too. So there you go. Um, but yeah, like the stars of this movie, just very standard. Every Australian knows who they are. Particularly, as I said, Glenn Robbins, Mick Malloy. I mean, Glenn Robbins. He was in Fast Forward. He's sort of he's been around for a long time in a lot of these comedy productions. At this time, would have easily been best known as playing Kel and Kath and Kim. And I think there's a lot of people to this day still know him as Kel from Kath and Kim. Mick Malloy. He. I think, again, I mentioned last week too, basically in the 90s, the Hamish and Andy of the 90s was a radio duo called, well, the show was called um, Martin Malloy. So it was Mick Malloy and Tony Martin, who is the guy in this movie who's the uh, they, the documentary guy. Is he Kenny, the one with the glasses and the curly hair, the one that, um, oh, yeah. that Boomstein keeps bagging out, like my lawyers, my family, the, Kenny. The one that looks like... Uh... <laughs> The one that looks like every bad yearbook yeah. picture from 1992. Yeah, so that, that's Tony Martin. So he, between him and Mick Malloy, they were like this hilarious radio duo. I've got all their best off CDs. It's so, so funny. Um, and then even sort of the other three who are in this group, uh, Wayne Hope, the Car- Carl, the, the gay one, he's in the castle. Um, then Bob Franklin, uh, who Mallory still to this day doesn't realise is English. Uh, <laughs> we, we, we saw him in something else. And straight away, I'm like, oh, yeah, he... And Mallory's like, oh, I recognise him. I'm like, yeah, he's the English one in Boytown. Wait, there was an English one in Boytown? I'm like, yes, the one with the English accent? There was no one with an English accent? I'm like, yes, there was. Um, he's a comedian that's been around for a long time. Gary Eck is kind of the only one who I would say is, like, the, the least famous of all of them. He's kind of been in a few things here and there. But, um, you know, he he's been in, like, Happy Feet 2 and... Um, the Nation, which was sort of like a, a show here for a little bit, which because he worked a lot with Mick Malloy, and then as it often is the case too with Australian movies, they often try and get like one semi-big name, and I guess that was Sally Phillips, mm. you know, I guess off the back of uh, Bridget Jones's Diary fame. Then she's been in other things as well, and then even Lockie Hume, who is Boomstein, he's a very esteemed, uh, mainly television actor in Australia. Like he does a lot of uh, dramatic roles where he gets a lot of awards in this country, but it's kind of fun to see him there. So, you know, a, a very standard Australian movie cast, but still very, very funny and just such a, a fun idea, I think. So, um, yeah, I, I'm just still surprised that this movie didn't do it better than it did. <laughs> Well, you know what's funny is that you know we, we talked a little bit last week about you know when we were doing Bond Cop, Bad Cop, that one of the reasons that movie became such a big hit here in Canada is because Canadians said let's make a commercial movie. It'll still have a very Canadian feel, but it's going to be you know mainstream and commercial. And when we get to Men with Brooms next week, it's going to be the same thing. And you know our industry seems to be similar to yours. And you kind of said the same thing last week that it's it's primarily art house movies, you know? And so when you do get a mainstream movie, you know, even if it's not a big hit, it's sort of like you take notice of it. Was this kind of a big deal at the time? I'm not saying big deal as in like, oh, everybody was talking about it, but was it sort of unlikely at the time to have a movie? Because this is a very commercial type concept to come out. Because I think if a movie like this came out in Canada, even if it wasn't a big hit, it would sort of be like, oh, we're kind of making a fun movie for a change. Yeah, it definitely got a lot of attention in terms of when it was being released. As I said, we had that teaser that was in the lead up to it. You know, it was sort of the week of release. It was kind of like, oh, yeah, no, check this out. This is Boytown. But it just kind of came and went. And that's a lot of what Australian movies do. Like, there's a bit of hype around them. People are talking them up. And unless they go on to be like a, you know, a Mad Max or, you know, a Crocodile Dundee they just kind of come and go and then they just get forgotten about. And that was just basically boy town. You know, I, this, this movie wasn't panned. It wasn't absolutely hated. It was just mm-hmm. kind of middle of the road. People were like, okay, yep. It was, it was fine. It's basically what we expected. 
Um, it, you know, it was entertaining. It was a bit funny, but cool. That was it. And it just came and went. And I think, you know, when we talk about the castle in a couple of weeks ago, a completely different reaction to the castle. There's always generally an Australian movie every couple of years that will come and be like, wow, that was, that was huge. And then that's, you know, mm-hmm. gone on to bigger and better things. And then, but like, I think what you're saying about like, let's make a commercial movie. I feel that Australia does that too every couple of years. This was this movie in 2006. You have movies like uh, Tomorrow When the War Began, which... Uh, I, I think we'll maybe try and do that next year because that was sort of like a, it's based on a children's series. It's very similar premise to uh, Red Dawn, the Patrick Swayze movie. Um, was that Red Dawn? That was what it was called, right? Um, yeah. Thank you. I, I thought I was correct there, but I just needed to double check myself. Um, you know, sort of <laughs> it happens every once yeah, in a while. <laughs> kids go away camping. They come back. The country's been invaded. You know, the standard thing. Um, and like that was like a real big blockbuster movie that again, Australia doesn't make those types of movies and it, it came out and people were like, yeah, this is fine. This is great. And then it just, it just got forgotten about. And that's kind of what happens mm. here. So, and that's just the industry in Australia. Like it's sort of movies that get released, particularly Australian movies generally kind of only make, if they make a couple million dollars, they're considered a success because generally even the yeah. big Hollywood movies each year are only going to make upwards of. 15 to 20 million dollars sometimes 30 million dollars that's just our box office that's just how we work so for an australian mm-hmm. movie you know to make three million dollars which basically boytown did i mean kind of similar to what you're saying with canada you'd almost argue like times that by five or ten to sort of compare it to the mm-hmm. north american box office so by no means was this movie a failure it just it just 14 years later we're pretty much the only people probably still talking about this <laughs> yeah and that's very much true because um, you would sort of – I wasn't sure. You would talk to this movie for a long time. And as I said last week, uh, we've been planning this Canada-Australia thing for long enough that when you and Mallory were here a year and a half ago, that's when I grabbed this movie off of your high drive and transferred it onto my portable hard drive, which is where it's been sitting. And I wasn't even 100% sure I still had it until this morning when I panicked. I'm like, wait, I better make sure it's actually on there. And luckily it was. Because when I wasn't sure, I'm like, I, I got to see, can I find this movie? Everywhere? And I can't find it anywhere. And like I said, even just trying to find YouTube clips, even just trying to find the lyrics online. Yeah. When Fuck. I was looking for my profile pic, like the profile pic I have right now is not the one because I found one profile pic, <laughs> which is I think you said the I cry uh, pose or whatever. Uh, that was the only thing I could find on Google Images. And I'm like, well, let me see if I can find something else. So I just pulled this as a screenshot from the movie. But the, this it's it's probably the only thing we're going to cover this month, I think, that is a more obscure choice yeah. because, you know, even though, as I said, Bon Cop, Bad Cop, the, the highest grossing Canadian film of all time, and Men With Brooms next week, it's kind of like this, uh, I guess, in terms of box office. It, it was a moderate hit, but it's still well-remembered years later, whereas this, I mean, you really weren't underselling it when you said, you know, yeah, this is not a movie that most people remember. Yeah, 100%. And I think that you will ask most Australians and that will take them a little bit or they won't realise because, um, you know, the cast, I mean, you saw uh, Hello, Chris Dixon, if you're listening. I mean, he legitimately commented on our post saying, like, if you don't do the castle, I'm never listening again. And that's the the steam. Like, most people, if you ask most Australians what the greatest Australian movie of all time is, they will say the castle. They will say it ahead of Crocodile Dundee. Uh, because it's just got such an iconic place in Australian cinema and Australian culture, because we will discover in a couple of weeks' time that so many of the quotes in the castle, Australians use every fucking day, and that is no word of a lie, because it's just became such entrenched in the culture of Australia. Whereas Boytown, nobody walks around going, oh, it's parent-teacher night. (laughs) You go, you know, like, we're not saying that. But yeah, as I said, it's hard to really find a lot online for this as well. 
Um, and that's just that's just it. There's so many Australian movies that we can go over that are exactly the same thing. Like there are some good Australian movies. Like the one, as I said last week, that I really wanted to cover but we couldn't fit it in was Swinging Safari, and that's only two years old. And that came and went without a, a bang. And like that movie was one of the funniest movies I've ever seen coming from Australia. You know, that's up there with Boytown and The Castle as one of the best Australian movies I've ever seen. And that had more of a, I guess, an internationally recognized cast with Guy Pearce in it, Julian McMahon, uh, Kylie Minogue, like people that audiences in Canada would know who they are. So, whereas this one, I mean, yeah, I don't think any non-Australian would really know who these people are, except for, you know, maybe Sally Phillips if you're from the UK. So, yeah. Mm. But I think, um, I mean, we can get this... I, I, famous last words. Don't feel this is going to take us long, because, I mean, it really... It's almost a musical. And I think that... It is. It, it's a very standard plot. And actually, one thing I was thinking about this, I think if this movie was released 10 years later, it would have been such a bigger deal, because, you know, the whole nostalgia trip idea... I mean, it was there in 2006, mm-hmm. but it wasn't as big as it is today. So I think that kind of... This is an idea which, again, it's a very simple concept of a, a, an idea. It's something that I'm surprised Hollywood hasn't done something more of. I mean, I know they've kind of done similar things. But, um, you know, it's it's kind of... I think it would do a lot better today. There was... um. The movie I now pronounce you, Chuck and Larry, was at Adam Sandler and uh, Kevin James. Um, there was an Australian movie that did a similar thing, actually. There's a... Um, Ah, oh, I can't remember what it's called. It's got um the it's got Paul Hogan in it, and it's got the guy Michael Keaton. Uh, Michael Keaton, sorry, Michael Keaton. <laughs> uh, Michael Keaton, who is the main star of the castle, and basically the strange bedfellows. That's the name of it. And essentially, the idea is oh, yeah. two older men who kind of you know have to get married and be gay to for some sort of con or something. And basically, they remade that in America with I now pronounce you Chuck and Larry. And I'm surprised this is something that hasn't happened. But the, the difference is, I think maybe it's been scared off because that's a whole other kettle of fish with the controversy around I now pronounce you Chuck and Larry because Rob Schneider was involved in that. And Rob Schneider and Michael Caton were actually friends because Michael Caton is the crazy scientist in The Animal, the Colleen Haskell star vehicle. So they met, Rob Schneider and Michael Caton met on that movie and apparently Rob Schneider stole the idea, at least Michael Caton claims, and then made a bunch of money and never gave Michael Caton any money for it. So, like, that was a big controversy in Australia when that movie came out. So, but having said that, I don't know if that whole concept had any idea as to why this has never been turned into sort of... Because like, this, this screams. Like, this, they could make an American movie out of this, and I think it would be huge. Oh, easily. You know, when I was watching this, I, I felt like it was a movie just slightly ahead of its time. There was a... Um a short-lived reality show. I think it was a VH1 series or something like that um, around the early 2000s that was a a guy who every single week he would make it his goal to reunite some famous music act from the past. And uh, I remember one episode was on the New Kids on the Block. uh, And what this guy would do is just this documentary filmmaker and he would go and he'd track down the original members and he'd talk and say, this is what we're trying to do. Now, if everybody else agreed to this, would you agree to come together just for one performance? And uh, I think he ended up getting like four out of the five new kids on the block to agree on camera to do this. And the last one said, I actually really think what you're doing is great. I just don't think this would be what I want to do. And a couple of years later, the new kids on the block reunite. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, obviously it's, it's different from what you see in this movie, the whole nostalgia thing you're talking about. But that is happening now. You see that with the Backstreet Boys, you know, and new kids on the block and a lot of these other TLCs doing it, too. You know, these artists from the past. (laughs) I love TLC. That was like that was that was like my version of a boy band growing up. <laughs> but um, uh, girl band. Uh, <laughs> that was my girl band growing up. Anyways, 
but um, that's that's sort of like the the trend now. I think the only thing this movie gets wrong is because it was ahead of its time and nobody had done that. These these groups weren't reuniting. Mm. Is they thought that when it would happen, you'd have to be gearing towards that middle age audience. Whereas we see now, it's just nobody wants to hear your new songs. Just play the old hits, yeah. and you know that that's what the Backstreet Boys and New Kids on the Block and TLC <laughs> are making it big with now. Um, yeah, no, absolutely, I agree with you. I will send you the soundtrack for this if you want, Colin, because I have this and I was listening to yes, this last please. night. Like I, every time I watch this movie, I just have to listen to the soundtrack to death because it is just. It's, I actually won a competition. I remember. Um, the newspaper that I would grow up to work for, they had like a, a giveaway, like, you know, sending 25 words or less and you can win a Boytown prize pack. And I, I mean, let's be honest, I've probably only entered, entered, but um, I won like, <laughs> I won the soundtrack. I won the single for I Cry. I think I won a poster. And I think I even won like a record. Like this is back before records all of a sudden become a big thing. But I think I won like a, a record of the album. Uh, which might be in a box somewhere back home. But, um, yeah, I had this. I won a prize pack, basically, for it. Um, did, <laughs> didn't win a double pass in the movie. Like, I wanted to go see it again, but no, they didn't give me one. That was like, I won a Bohemian Rhapsody prize pack. And they, did they give me another double ticket to the movie? No, I just won the soundtrack and two coasters. <laughs> um, so, so I, had... I think you're better off with those prizes <laughs> than having seen the movie. But... So <laughs> let, let's get into it. I mean, this movie starts off fantastically with the epic banger that is Gold by Spandau Ballet. What a fucking great song. We we went on about Hall and Oates back in our Eddie the Eagle recap. Tell me you're a Spandau Ballet fan because this song is great. I don't know if I ever heard it prior to this. Oh, no, really? Oh. Do you know, are you familiar with Maybe Spandau you... Ballet though? Like, you know, um, True? You'd know True if you listen to it. If I listen to it, maybe, but <laughs> the name doesn't ring You would definitely know True. That is one of those sort of really 80s power ballad love songs that ever they've used it in about a hundred different movies um so you you would know it but yeah i love this song this is actually in a grand theft auto game so i remember i think the moment this movie started when i started the cinema i'm like oh my god it's a game from vice it's a song from vice city i know this song um but we have this class of girls basically doing epic dance moves standing in front of uh glenn robbins aka benny g all of these girls are absolutely incredible. Like they are pulling these amazing dance moves. They're so in time, and basically Benny G at the end. That was terrible, girls. <laughs> like just a bit of a perfectionist. And I love. He calls out one girl. Are you drunk, Katie? Uh, <laughs> yeah. And that's his daughter. It is. We find out that this is his daughter. Uh, I'm seeing here played by the esteemed Sarah Walker, who, as far as I know, has never been in anything else except for Boytown. Clearly, this didn't start her off on a path of success, but she's actually pretty good. Like, she's actually a pretty good actress. Um, meanwhile, I, and I'm probably going to keep referring to these people by their actors' names, not Benny G, uh, just Glenn Robbins. Uh, he's sitting in the car waiting to uh, pick up, and we hear a cover on the radio. We hear a song. I love to love you, babe. I love to love you, baby. Um that's why I should be in a boy band. <laughs> we find out that this is a cover of the iconic Boy, uh, boy Town song uh, by Boy to Boy from the radio hosts Hendo and Mad Dog, which, let's be honest, every single Australian uh, comedy duo on radio is called something like that. And I, you know, love their bit where it's like, oh, I wonder what they're up to now. Oh, probably going the comb over. Oh, look out. <laughs> so Australian. Um, we find out, yes, the girl that he was calling drunk is Katie, his daughter. 
he talks about finding out that she's got a boyfriend. <laughs> Little birdie, Tommy, you have a boyfriend. Uh, it's like, have you kissed him yet? Do you even know how to kiss? This is how I kiss. Mm-hmm. <laughs> It's it's much less creepy than the way Ben just <laughs> explained it. Just in case you haven't seen this movie, people, here let me show you how to kiss. But I love the daughter. I love the fact that she's like, "This is the noise of me throwing up." <laughs> and just because uh, I'm sure you and every single non-Australian is wondering, this movie is filmed in Melbourne, the beautiful city of Melbourne in the background, um, which you can dates this movie for everybody who knows Melbourne. You can see the Re- Eureka Tower being built in the background still, which is uh, the co-tallest building in that Australia. so distracting. I know. I bet you were. <laughs> um, so hearing that song on the radio has uh, gotten Benny G a little bit nostalgic. So we see him in his den staring at all these old posters and gold records and just, I mean, let's be honest. If, he, if you are that successful, you're going to have this. Um, and then we meet his wife, Holly. She's a babe by golly. And when you're not thinking of her, you're melancholy. Um, she wants him to get rid of everything and replace it with autographed cricket bats. I'm sure that's the dream of every single Canadian as well, having autographed cricket bats in their den. And this sort of leads into Benny G having uh, a bit more of a nostalgia trip. And we get this cool little introduction, sort of talking up Boytown as the biggest band of the 80s, having all these number one hits. And basically, what they, they talk about having no uh, instruments and high octane dance moves and kind of just just a nice little sort of package clip of just showcasing what they are and this is obviously well before de-aging technology so they've essentially gotten all the actors and just given them longer hair and a mullet and leather jackets <laughs> but i think it, it kind of works because the way they do the editing they they basically they they pan away enough from them that you don't see close-ups of their face and then when you do see close-ups of their face it's just like real quick little flashes so i actually think it's kind of cleverly done so we meet all the uh, the members of the band here. We've got Carl, who is now a construction worker. He's essentially the token gay member of the band. <laughs> so Benny G's here going like, oh, I'm thinking about getting the band back together. You know, um, do you want to do it? And he's like, oh, it's not the gay thing, is it? And he's like, oh, those, those rumours were downright hurtful. And he's kind of standing there in this very <laughs> feminine pose with his hands on his hips and everything like that. But he seems a bit interested and um, I love... Glenn Robbins' little joke here. Your ass looks fat in those shorts. Oh, they do not. It's like, oh, you got me a good one there. Um, then we meet Bobby Mack, who has turned into a lecturer at a university. He's talking about how Shakespeare was alive today. He'd be writing Baywatch. Kind of dates this a little bit, because 2006, I don't think Baywatch was the number one TV show in the world at that point. So Was it even around? I don't think it was. Maybe Baywatch Nights or something like that. <laughs> um, but I, I do love how he's, like, grown his little... Um, what even is that little beard? Like, the, the little poetry man. <laughs> Soul patch. Soul patch beard. <laughs> and for the first time, we kind of hear this little rapport between their two. Their whole thing in this movie is going to be, ah, oh, I've got a story to tell. It's about these men who go on a journey. And they kind of, you know, writing this narrative. He talks about wanting to get the band back together. And uh, that, that's Bob Franklin. I like Bob Franklin. He's kind of, you know, been in things here and there. He's, I've I've seen some of his stand-up work. He's pretty funny. But again, sort of one of these comedians who's been around Australia for a long time. And sort of, you know, most Australians will know who he is. Then, see, I actually really, really like Corey, even though he's, like, the least famous of these five, because Corey's me. Um, He's a radio host in a tiny little town, basically. (laughs) uh, Thinks he's bigger than he is, and he keeps fucking up all the time. 
Uh, so he's here on the radio talking about drought. And he's like, oh, I was talking to a farmer the other day. And I was trying to find out how bad the drought was. And he said, oh, let me put it this way. I've got six-year-old frogs who don't even know how to swim. I laughed, I did. I laughed. But I wanted to cry. Um, and then he's basically, I'm going to play a song now as a tribute to all our farmers who are doing it tough. He ends up playing Wipeout. <laughs> and he's like, shit, shit, fuck, fuck, this is meant to be true blue. Oh, damn it. And he throws his headphones down. Um, and he's he's in. He wants to be part of this reunion. But then we, of course, hear the name. Oh, have you talked to Tommy Boy yet? Oh, he shouldn't be a problem. So we're going to meet him very soon. I do also love Corey here when it's like, I'm a pretty big uh, big wig in this town. And you just see him in the middle of nowhere in caravan. And then he comes back on air and he's like, oh, time for traffic report. <laughs> uh, yeah, so what's the traffic like out there? Oh, I think a car drove past here about half an hour ago. <laughs> <laughs> oh it's just like little tiny little subtle jokes it's just so australian just the way they do this um we meet tommy boy played by the esteemed mick malloy love him or hate him he's been around australia for a long time he actually um again i have to give you some of the the martin malloy uh stuff because it's so much fun like, i love hamish and andy but they're just funnier than hamish and andy he was the star of Cracker Jack, um, and he's done a lot of sort of TV work, and now he's got a pretty popular radio show in Australia, and he does a lot of sort of colour commentary for a lot of Australian football. He's a, he's a mad Richmond supporter, and I'm sure, as you know, following Australian football with your brother, they've won a couple of the last premierships. So, you know, he's very prominent still to this day, Mick Malloy. But he actually, during the Vancouver Olympics, Channel 9 over here had the rights for it, and he was kind of brought on as like the comedy guy to kind of bring colour for it. And he got into a lot of trouble because he was doing some sort of fake commentary over the figure skating. And he basically just implied all male figure skaters are gay. So um, <laughs> I think he got taken off the air for a, for the rest of the broadcast and everything like that. But actually look it up. The, the clips are kind of funny of his commentary and stuff of the Olympics. But here he is. He lives with his grandma. Uh, he lays on the couch all day betting on horse races. And dog races, dog dog races. Yes, it's not even horse. Um, and I don't know if this is really a thing in Canada. Do you guys really have like much gambling over like horse and dog racing like this, and calling up and phoning in bets and things like that? Is that a thing in Canada? No, like you see it on TV all the time. Like, funny enough, there is uh, a major horse track here in Winnipeg. Like the way you would see it in movies where there, you you can go and you place bets and everything and you can view it on TV. But it's like nobody ever goes there. I mean people – it's called Assiniboine Downs here and people know Assiniboine Downs because the big carnival that comes once a year is on the Assiniboine Downs grounds. And that's the only reason anybody actually knows it exists. It's it's a big deal in Australia. Like this is legitimately a big deal. Um, I mean we have the Melbourne Cup, which is the race that stops a nation every November um and yeah it's it is a big thing my dad did this growing up he gambled every weekend that's why i had no childhood we were poor um <laughs> still in therapy and uh he would ring up he would ring up and place bets and kind of you know this is well beyond before uh online gambling if you ever go to australia and watch any live sporting event the whole thing is just controlled by betting odds like there's just ads galore for it so this is legitimately how australia is but he we we find out that um Essentially, these two don't like each other because on the eve of them going to the Grammys, Benny G decided to pursue a solo career, and that's clearly why they've broken up. And we also learnt that in the montage as well. Um, so poor old Tommy Boy is not keen for it. He wants to go back to his real job. He's basically a lollipop lady or a crossing guard. Um, so off he goes. 
But um, we then see that um, this whole solo career thing and how Benny G and Holly met was because Holly was a a one-hit wonder who released a song about ringing a bell with the most obviously suggestive lyrics in the history of music. (laughs) If you can keep a secret, you can dip in my well. Um, Yep. Actually, probably would be an actual pop lyric, let's be honest. (laughs) Oh, guaranteed. So we find out that uh, they were a thing. That's how they met. Poor old Benny G is in a, a dance hall waiting for them to show up. We're hearing Tough Titties as another song. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Everything's tough. All their old songs are tough something. They're all like, well, I think like, this is just like a great parody of it because this is kind of what boy bands were, weren't they? Like, particularly the new kids on the block, they were kind of like, hey, we're tough and cool. But at the same time, we're getting the ladies by singing these cool songs. Like, <laughs> I don't know about you growing up when like boy bands were a thing, like, I remember, like, I love the Backstreet Boys now. I'll be completely honest with you. But as a kid, like, you're like, oh, God, the girls like the Backstreet Boys. Like, ugh. You know, and they were a bit, like, they weren't tough. I don't think the Backstreet Boys were no. tough. Um, so, like, they, they kind of became more of, like, a uh, thing in the 90s more than, oh, they're tough and cool. Um, but they all meet in the dance hall. Uh, they all start singing a bit of an acapella of Boy Town. <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. Whoa, boy town. Uh, and then Tommy Boy shows up and starts doing his pendulum. Uh, my pendulum wasn't crap. And then we end up going into Boomstein Records. Uh, we meet Marty Boomstein, played by the esteemed Lockie Hume. They want a comeback. They he, they still owe them an album. So he's basically like, cool, I'll bankroll an album for you. Go have a little tidy um, weekend that you can write some songs in. I'll get a documentary crew. And basically their whole thing here is like, you're going to untap into the untarted, uncharted waters that are mature age boy bands. And clearly Marty Boomstein only cares about money and they're going to go off and write some songs. Uh, I might cap it here, just all the whole introduction of the movie. One thing I'll say here, I, I love this moment in his office where he's basically like, see that gold record over there? If it wasn't for that one, you know, Boomstein Records wouldn't be the powerhouse it is here today. And you want to know what name is on that gold record? <laughs> Super Tramp. It says Super Tramp. Oh, well, fuck it. You must have got lost in the room. Move somewhere. It's boy town. <laughs> I can love... That might have been the best line in the whole movie. I love Boomstein. He's so good. I love Lockie Hume. He's such a great actor. And I will say, I love this office too. It's overlooking Albert Park Lake. That's where the Grand Prix is. I'm there every single year. So, a uh, beautiful part of Melbourne. Love Melbourne. I'm just going to keep saying that all the time. Uh, but yeah, just such a fun start to the movie. Just it's It's just so A to Z. It's just, this is all you need to know. They were famous, they're getting back together, and they're about to go into the studio to try and make a comeback by recording a new album. The, the opening is really good. Like, everything you covered up to this point, I'm like, this this movie's great. Like, I don't know why people aren't watching this today. Uh, some of the stuff falls apart later on, which I'll, I'll kind of pinpoint what I think the issue is here. Um, but, uh, like, the way that they flip back and forth Instead of having this montage with the documentary, you know, the biggest boy band from 1986 <laughs> to 1992, like they're showing their everyday lives. And then each time they introduce a character, they'll go back and they'll show that person and they'll have the narration again. That, that's a really cool way of just, you know, introducing all the characters, but keeping the movie going. Um, the full line here, I have, yeah, I got to read the the entire thing here, the narration where they're talking about the band. They're like, with their mix of stadium rocking <laughs> anthems and heart-rending ballads combined with high-energy dance moves, <laughs> lack of instruments, <laughs> and legions of screaming young girls. <laughs> the, like, the whole thing reads just like 
you know, very straight, and it's just throwing that one line there, lack of instruments, because, <laughs> like, that was the thing growing up. Like, yeah. I'm glad you mentioned the thing about, you know, boy bands and not liking them, because um, I have a strong opinion on that, too, which is growing up as a teenager, when you had Backstreet Boys, NSYNC, whatever else it was, uh, anytime a guy said, oh, I don't like that, oh, the Backstreet Boys, every girl's response was, you're just jealous of them. I'm like, What? <laughs> And I've said for years, I'm like, why is it that, like, back in those days, girls could not wrap their heads around, this music is not for me. (laughs) And what I like about this movie is that they come right out and they say their music was made for girls. This entire premise of this movie is they are targeted towards girls. We're writing songs for this audience. And yet I I was just always so annoyed growing up that girls couldn't understand – no, this is clearly not for me. A guy does not want to go out of their way to listen to a song, you know, that, that is geared towards women. And and it's not to say like, you know, oh, I'm too macho. I can't listen to this. It was not made for me. It's just like there are movies out there that are clearly made just for guys. There are guys movies. There are girls movies. There are different audiences. But I just I always remember that growing up. It's like this is clearly not for me. But it, just pinpoint the lack of instruments. That was the thing that like. If you were not into this type of music, that was the whole complaint you always say. They don't even play their own instruments. Like, I don't know how many times myself or other people say, they don't play their own instruments. And that's just the go-to response. They throw it in there as a joke. That's just hilarious. Uh, the way that they introduce them all, too, like, uh, I feel like some of the some of them get bigger laughs than others. You know, like, like uh, who's the professor? Uh, Bob Franklin. Uh, so, um, uh, God, what's his name? Tommy. No, not Tommy. Bobby, Bob, Bobby Mack. Bobby Mack. Thank you, yeah. Okay, so, yeah, so Bobby Mack, it's sort of like, okay, this is just where he would be in life. And then you get the other ones where it's a complete loser, like like the the, the radio show host, which is just hilarious. Uh, but they all have that one moment where, where sometimes it, you get introduced to them and you're like, uh, the first guy, the, the gay guy. Um, so when you first, or the is he gay guy, when you first get introduced to him, they're just having a conversation. It's the way that that joke lands. Like, is this the gay thing, you know? And it's like, I'm telling you, I'm not gay. And then they just immediately cut to the wide shot of him in the short shorts, <laughs> <laughs> standing, like you said, with the pose. Like, it's just a brilliantly timed joke. There's there's so many things like that in this movie. And then with the, the crossing guard thing, like, I'm glad you said that was, I picked up on it later in the movie. But is this the way that they dress in Australia yeah, if you're a crossing absolutely. guard? And you would, okay, and you would so, call them lollipop ladies because generally growing up, they were ladies and they kids thought they were holding a lollipop. So that's why we call them lollipop okay. ladies. Completely lost in translation if you're not from Australia yeah. then, because I was looking at this, what is he supposed to be? Because our crossing guards look and dress completely different. So I thought he was like, you know, uh, part of some type of show, like he was in a parade or something like that. <laughs> it didn't make any sense when I first saw it. The Mardi Gras. But he was in the Mardi Gras. See, yeah. 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 <laughs> the Australian Mardi Gras. Yeah. But when you see it later in the movie and he's holding up that stop sign, I'm like, oh, now I get it. Um yeah, like all the they, they all have like kind of their fun, distinct characters. Um, uh, the 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 thing with the den, I, I I thought that this set up the the wife character to be more negative than she was intended to be. I think this is one of the problems of the movie because there's really no even if he's living this other life, I don't see why somebody who achieved that much success wouldn't have that. You know, um, like you know, I I won't mention the name, uh, <laughs> but I have an uncle who was in a very famous Canadian band. Uh, and Neil Young, we stayed with. No, it's not Neil Young. <laughs> um, Brian, I stayed with him. 
continuing on uh the, i'll just let people believe it's brian adams so my uncle brian adams anyways <laughs> but my... <laughs> i love brian adams can we meet him when i'm there see that's that's cooler than saying my uncle chad kroger but anyways no. it's not chad kroger I... <laughs> uh, my uncle when we were staying with him you know like it was removed from their success. It, it wasn't like, you know, oh, they hit rock bottom or whatever. You know, he just sort of left the band and moved on. But, you know, he had an office slash den slash guest bedroom. It kind of served as everything. And this is what it looked like. He had all of his platinum albums surrounding the room. He had his Juno Awards, his Grammy Awards, stuff like that. I mean, all of his awards wait, 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 were surrounding on, on. I need, room. I need to interrupt you. Are you legitimately being serious here that you have an uncle who's won Grammys and Junos? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm being 100% serious. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you the story when we're off the I, I know, anyway. I know your mum had, like, some connections. I know you've told me that. But, like, I need to... Yeah. This is this is big news, all right? You're rich. I need yeah. to be more of your friend. <laughs> my mom's connections were mostly due to the fact that my uncle was quite famous. But, uh, wow. But this is what his Wayne Gretzky? room looked like. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I don't mean to keep interrupting you. I'm just like... The, the reveal all of a sudden, oh yeah, my uncle's won Grammys and Juno. Okay. <laughs> I've known I you for like, like seven up... years and this is just coming up now? I feel like this has actually come up in another episode because I thought we we did an episode which was dealing with like fame and I even mentioned like, oh yeah, you know, if your family member's famous, it literally is just nothing, right? Like, oh, that's just my uncle, right? <laughs> <laughs> but... but... Maybe, moving on, maybe. <laughs> sorry, this is famous last words. This will be a short episode. <laughs> I need to do my job as a journalist here and get to the bottom of this. This is great. <laughs> so, did everyone listening to this right now email the Oz Network at hotmail.com and make a guess who Colin's famous uncle is? It's not Neil Young, it's not Brian Adams. Uh, who else could it be? William Shatner, perhaps. Michael J. Fox. Uh, I'm just thinking of famous Canadians who aren't necessarily sick. Anyone in Rush? All the. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> Michael J. Fox, all of his Grammy and Juno awards. <laughs> uh, the only famous, like, is, is Celine Dion, your uncle. Um, Mr. Dion. <laughs> you go. Alas, his heart said. will not go off, Mr. Dion. <laughs> oh, well, this is, this is great. I want a Grammy. Steal a Grammy for me. Get me one. <laughs> well, you might soon be living closer to them than I am. I'll just... Oh, <laughs> well, we live in Victoria anyway. now. Oh, okay then. <laughs> Not in Victoria, but... But maybe because, you know, when I grew up, that was his office. I'm like, oh yeah, this is cool or whatever. But it, it, when the wife is introduced here and she's like, why don't you take this stuff down? You should put up cricket bats. I'm like, she's kind of downplaying his success. Like, whether or not he's moved on in his life, like, he would still have had that. I'd still be proud of that, you know? Um, If I ever won a Grammy (laughs) uh, on a duet with my uncle or something like that, (laughs) maybe I would have a room to that as well. It just didn't make sense. So I thought of her character, and I couldn't get over For the entire movie, I could not get over it. Where even There were times where, yeah, they were trying to throw some suspicion on her later. And I just had that negative opinion from my beginning. She's just trying to downplay his success because, you know, she was a one-hit wonder. <laughs> so it probably was unintentional, but like, or maybe it was just because, like, I, I know somebody who has a room like that where it's like, why is she being so mean to him? Like, I felt bad for him there. Um, but maybe that's the point. I don't know. Uh, I think it is. Her character is just... Her character is all over the place in this movie. I think that that's one of the biggest problems with this movie is the role she has in this is just so all over the place and half the time makes no sense. But uh, we'll we'll definitely get more to that later. Um, Yeah, I love the whole trailer studio in the middle of a field. (laughs) 
And then that traffic reporter, like that was one of the uh, other jokes that I just got the biggest laugh out of where it's like, let's go to the traffic. Uh, I think a car came by here <laughs> half an hour ago <laughs> and he's not even excited about it. Uh, uh, that was just great. Um, and yeah, when they when they get to the uh, the big reunion that they have and then he's a like, one condition, no solo albums like that's obviously setting something up that's going to come up later, uh, which, again, they sort of make a bigger deal out of it than it'll eventually be in the movie. Uh, but this guy, the, um, the manager, I guess the, the record executive, he's the real star of the movie. Like of all the performances in this, I feel like he lands the jokes more than anybody else. The rest of the guys, they're all fine because there's so many of them. I think that they don't really get as much time to develop, but this guy, what's his name again? Um, uh, he, Hume. he is so funny. And I, looking up on his filmography, he's been in a lot of stuff I've seen, I mean, he was in the Matrix movies. Who is he in the Matrix movies? It was Sparks. It's been a long time since I've seen the Matrix sequels, oh. but yeah. Let's do Matrix month before Matrix 4. I'm sure we'll talk a lot about him. He's he's amazing in this movie. Um, another thing that's very uneven about this movie, though, is they come in there and they're like, we're going to reunite the band. There's a lot of things that I feel like could be played for bigger laughs or even for more dramatic effect. That it's just like it's blinking. It's over. And this is sort of the first example of that where uh, he laughs it off first and then he's like, all right, I'm going to give you guys the shot because you still owe me two albums. It's like, I see you becoming the biggest thing in the world. I feel like this should have been a bigger thing. It goes on longer and longer. Like the the better way to play this joke would have been he's laughing it off saying, I'm not going to release the album. And and if they said, well, you know what? Contractually, we still owe you two albums. So we're not asking for much. You know, just throw, give us some recording sessions, release the album, and then we'll be free of this contract. You'll never have to hear from us again. I think that would have been the better way to play it. The fact that it just goes from laughing to instantly like – you're going to be the mature boy band. Like I, I just, I didn't understand the motivation of the character. I can't believe I'm talking about the motivation of a character in boy town, but, uh, <laughs> but it, like a couple of seconds longer could have made that scene make a little bit more sense. But uh, yeah, when they introduced that idea about, you know, a boy band for mature audiences, this is where I thought this happened later. And I thought that this movie would have gone in that direction. Cause I kind of only knew the premise that it would have been this boy band that just reemerges because of nostalgia. Uh, so I'm happy that once we get into the later part of what makes them famous, that, that actually made it a lot funnier and made it more original. Just quickly before I say anything, just I've just Googled famous Canadian musicians. So <laughs> Neil Young, Alanis Morissette, Brian Adams, Leonard Cohen, Celine Dion, Shania Twain, Gordon Lightfoot, Joni Mitchell, Sarah McLaughlin, Katie Lang, Avril Lavigne, Drake, your uncle's Drake. <laughs> <laughs> the family resemblance is obvious. Uh, <laughs> Um, anyway, um, yeah, I think like as much as I love this movie, there is kind of, there's one section which kind of has always irked me that kind of it's there for being there. And then there's kind of like a a one sort of sequence where I'm like, it just, it's edited weirdly. It kind of comes out of nowhere, then it's gone. Like there is definitely one part where that's a bit strange, but I think I can actually, (laughs) I didn't get that, but it's coming up later. Yes. Uh (laughs) Okay. Coming up now, I don't get the whole Boyd band bit. Um, but, like, I think you make a good point with Sally Phillips' character, and I can see why you would assume that straight away with her. But, like, at the same time, too, I think kind of later on, or very soon, actually, I think we're going to get that scene when sort of Benny G's kind of, like, talking about, like, oh, but we were really good. And she's kind of like, but we were crap. We were both crap. Like, clearly she's acknowledging that, like, okay, that was fun at the time, but it was crap. Let's move on. So that's, to me, where her motivation is, that she's just completely over it. Um, and I think that maybe 
that again, that if this movie was made 10 years later when it is sort of more of a nostalgia thing, it would be completely different. Whereas I think that in this period, it wasn't really a thing, like as you were saying, like it wasn't really sort of a comeback thing. So kind of people just moved on from these sort of one-hit wonders. We, we had, um, there was a TV host in Australia who hosted our version of Funniest Home Videos and she apparently had released like a single and it was just a, I didn't know. And it sort of came out one point in an interview with her and she's like, oh yeah, I'm embarrassed about that. I want to move on. I never want to talk about that again because there was a weird thing. I don't know if this was in happening in Canada or America a lot, but like a lot of our soap operas in the late eighties and nineties, um, early nineties, like home and away and neighbors, which are still obviously on to this day. It was a thing that people would go on and try and release pop singles because, like, Kylie Minogue became huge because she was an actress on Neighbours, released a pop single, and then everyone's like, oh, my God, I'm going to be Kylie Minogue. Like, I'm going to be the next Kylie Minogue. Mm -hmm. So there was a period there for, you know, 10 years maybe where pretty much every single star of Neighbours at Home and Away would try and become a pop singer and they would release (laughs) songs. And for the most part, they were incredibly bad. Uh, We even had Australian footballers release songs because they were trying to get on this thing. So, like, this was actually, like, there are some of the worst songs you will ever hear are released by Australian footballers in the late 80s and early 90s trying to become pop singers. And this was legitimately a thing that people did. So, I think, and then people would move on. They would be like, oh, I never want to talk about that again. I was stupid. I got fame hungry. So, kind of that to me is what Holly Please tell me, please tell me that Ian Thorpe did one. (laughs) No, but um, Ian Thorpe... He could pull it off. Well, Ian Thorpe is the core of... Uh, the Carl of this movie, sorry. Because for years, everyone was like, Ian Thorpe, you're gay, aren't you? And he's like, no, I'm not gay. Like, don't be stupid. Yeah. And then obviously, he he's gay. So it was kind of like... It was a thing that everybody knew. And then when he eventually came out, I was like, yeah, cool, Ian, we knew. But mm-hmm. we're glad you're being brave now, finally. <laughs> like, so there was... um, We had a sketch comedy show in the early 2000s called Comedy Inc., which was sort of the, you know, the success of um, Full Frontal uh, and Fast Forward. <laughs> And basically, there was this skit. Where- there's, there's a, there's li- literally a Canadian comedy sketch comedy show called Comedy Inc. I think we talked about this back in Die Another Day days because I, when I was listening on Double mm-hmm. Seven recently, Noah was talking a lot about how uh, Comedy Inc. in Australia parody Die Another Day, and you had said a similar thing. So I, yeah, I, I vaguely actually remember that. <laughs> but there was a, an ongoing segment where they would be like, "Oh, we're here interviewing Ian Thorpe. Ian Thorpe, you've just won your twenty eighth gold today. How are you feeling?" Yeah, no, no, I swam really well. I did really great, but I'm not gay. And then like, oh, cool, Ian. So how um, how are you feeling? Like, you know, what are you going to do tonight? Yeah, no, I'm really into fashion and I really love Kylie, but I'm not gay. Like, that was just like the ongoing thing. <laughs> like, he actually hosted a TV show in the early 2000s called Thorpey's Angels. No, no word of a lie. It was basically him... Uh, he would be the role of Charlie from Charlie's Angels and he would send three beautiful women to go off and, like, help sick kids and stuff. So um, it was, like, a feel-good show, and then there'd be, but it was called Thorpey's Angels. <laughs> there'd be a slow pan out or a quick pan out and he'd be in short shorts yeah. standing like... Uh, <laughs> um, but actually, the, the interview where he did come out, actually, it's, it's actually quite a powerful interview and you can see, yeah, like, I definitely feel for the guy because um, even in his autobiography he basically skimmed around the issue and said that he wasn't and then like two years later it's like oh by the way i am so anyway this is in, in thought yeah, just, <laughs> just you know to put in a context people ben has been saying the same thing yes. for the last seven years too. i have i actually have um so went to my autobiography i love madonna okay <laughs> mallory yes um i'm love here uh, we're getting married really looking forward to it uh, <laughs> So I've been engaged so many times because the the, the <laughs> thing just I can't keep living the lie. Damn it, Louise caught on to me. She wouldn't she wouldn't accept my money anymore. <laughs> You're dumped. Uh- 
once you become a Canadian citizen, then Mallory can know the yeah. truth. <laughs> um, yeah. So, like, but again, I see what you're saying. Definitely with the character of Holly. Uh, one thing I actually would say the the receptionist when they come into Boomstein Records. That's there's a lot yeah. of little cameos from kind of some well known comedians in Australia. That's a comedian called Cal Wilson. She's actually a Kiwi, but she's um she's made it quite big in Australia with a lot of her stand up comedy. She's quite funny. She's she often appears on a lot of shows. Um, but I love that bit when she basically implies that they're only there to use a toilet. They're like, first door down the left, reading materials on the table, or something like that. <laughs> and I love it. What is it? Um, Cora's like, what's the hap? <laughs> and she's like, the hap? <laughs> <laughs> I love really Corey. Nailed, like, the uncool middle-aged guys oh, trying to be cool thing. He's so funny. Like, Corey's just the underrated star of all of these five. Like, again, it's just when he, like, he's blowing everything up. <laughs> So funny. Um, so we end up in this tidy little weekender where they start to write the songs. And this is where it's just, I just laugh every single time at this where they try to like write a song. And they're like, let's write a song. It's about a boy who's had his heart broken by a girl. <laughs> <laughs> they're like, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and it's like, he's, he's, you know, in love with her forever. No, for eternity. <laughs> And he can't get over her because he's in so much pain. Just like, this is songwriting. In like This is how your uncle obviously got famous because this is how he wrote yeah. songs. When, when I worked at a CD DVD store for a long time, we just got people coming up to the counter going, oh, do you have that song that's on the radio about love? And you would just give Yeah. Them, Are you fucking kidding me? Um, but the- at one point in the song, they go, baby, baby. Yeah. But the, this is why it's just like, again, like the parody aspect of this movie is so funny because I read a review of this movie saying like, oh, it doesn't know what it wants to be. If it wants to be This Is Spinal Tap or The Full Monty, like it doesn't know. But I kind of appreciate that about it because like it's just I think the way they parody like boy bands and the music industry in general is actually hilarious. And I love it there when all of a sudden they're like, oh, but this reminds you of that Boyland song, you know, where the girl breaks his heart and then he gets all moody. And like, no, 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 that wasn't Boyland. That was Boy Train. No, it was Boy Time. Boy-tastic. No, 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 no. That was Boy-tastic. They were boys. Ahoy, they toured with boys, boys, boys. Boy, boy, boy. <laughs> and then... And then Bobby Mack is essentially keeps just saying Boy-tastic. He, like, he says it like three times. And then all of a sudden Corey's like, guys, shh. What's a word that rhymes with tears? <laughs> um, and then we get the bit where um, Holly and Katie are watching the cover of this their song, Boy to Boy. Uh, and then she's like, oh, they're hot. You know, I love Corey or whatever his name is. Not Corey, somebody else. Um, and then the phone rings and it's a boyfriend I love. Benny G, that'll be Egbert. Uh, <laughs> And then this is Holly saying, like, you know, oh, do you really want to do this? You know what fame does. And this is where she's like, but we were crap. We were both crap. Uh, and then we get a bit of a teaser for the song over the credits. It's like, I'm going to write a song about you. Uh, it's my babe, by golly, your name is Holly, and I'm feeling melancholy. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then I also love it when he's kind of, like, watching the, the clip and he's like, what is this? We're better than them. And he's like, what are they doing? Moving their heads side to side. <laughs> Just, like, doing doing such a dad dance. Um, we have Tommy Boy's grandma, Gran. We love Gran. Um, you know, you think I'm mm. going to be doing this all over again and washing your undies and, you know, just cause you want to come out of retirement doesn't mean I have to. <laughs> and she's going through all the undies and like, who's are these? Bobby Max. Who's are these? Benny Jits. Oh, <laughs> been up to your old tricks again. Have you? Who's are these? It's like, oh, I'd say if they were Carl's probably, oh, 
And then he like picks, and whose are these? Never you mind. <laughs> uh, we see them recording a song. Um, we had the doco crew coming in. We meet Kenny Larkin, Tony Martin. I love Tony Martin. He's so funny. Tony Martin, incidentally enough, as I said, also with, you know, the radio duo, but he's also the narrator. So he's the one at the beginning and the end who's sort of doing the whole, um, boy town narration of their little backstory. And, um, we meet Larry, the sound guy, <laughs> and then Corey on the screen, like, hey guys, this is a documentary, hi mum, uh, this is all where the magic happens, oh, I reckon if we just boost a bit here and put this up into green, alright, give me a bit of a play though. Well, I can't play it now because you fucked it all up. Come back in a week. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I love it. And then we get to, um, one of the epic songs of this movie. Oh, I love this song because, again, this was the promo clip. This is the teaser trailer. We have I Cry, uh, tears on my pillow in a river of pain. Whoops. Oh, there I go. Now I'm crying again. <laughs> and what is it like when they say, like, I cry when I see a little bird? It's just, the lyrics are terrible. <laughs> So funny, particularly when they cut to the film clip of them in the rain and this cheesy tear falling down their cheek. <laughs> and it eventually cuts to the screen and we see uh, Boomstein uh, basically like getting asked by his uh, other receptionist. She's like, oh, what do you what do you feel? You moved or something? Yeah, I moved to fucking tears of the amount of money that I just wasted on this crap. <laughs> Oh, it's so, this is one of the songs I listen to the most on the soundtrack. I just love it. It's so bad. It's good. Oh, the, this is, this is what sold me on seeing this movie. When you see, like, Tony, uh, when you see Glenn Robbins and Mick Malloy in, like, tight leather in rain, it's a teaser to Boytown. I'm, I'm sold. I'm seeing this movie. <laughs> uh, then cuts to them recording their next one, uh, which eventually is like a cheesy ballad. Oh, you're my angel, baby. <laughs> They're talking about riding on noble steeds, and they've only got shit little ponies. <laughs> Mallory loses it every single time she sees this clip. Uh, we also, they're reading a review in the lead up to um, doing this filming and uh, they're basically getting zero stars, the hardest working pants in show business holding in their, their asses. <laughs> and then we meet Boomstein again. We find out that basically their album's charted at, uh, the song's charted at 96, the album's off, but they get a massive royalty check because they, uh, the boy to boy cover spent 10 weeks at number one. This is how good Lockie humours this. I love, that, like, he sort of, he gives it to them. Nobody has a reaction. And he's like, oh, thank you, Marty. Oh, don't all thank me once. Oh, fuck <laughs> off. And he just, like, storms off. <laughs> so good. Lockie Hume is a treasure. I uh, love him. Um, he, they eventually go to a bar to drown their sorrows. And we kind of get a bit of an ongoing joke in this movie where uh, Benny G's like, oh, I might have another. Oh, calm down. That's your third. And they're only drinking light beer. And then we have this woman and a daughter come up. And it's like, oh, excuse me. Are you boy town? Oh, can I get? A, can we get a photo? So, of course, they automatically assume it's the teenage girl. And she's all like, what the fuck? Get off me. Like, who are you? And it's like, no, no, no. Take a picture with me. <laughs> and they're, me. like, groping her, too. Yes. God, they'll get removed from the game at that point. Be careful, guys. Um, Jeff Probst will <laughs> not like that. Um, but it's the older woman who wants... <laughs> It's the older woman who wants the photo and she's all like fangirling out like, oh my God, you were a part of my life. My first boyfriend. Oh my God, boy town. Thanks. And then we see the, like, the teenage girl's like, mum, come on. 
And this clicks uh, in Benny G's head, like, who's writing their songs? Like, who's writing songs about picking the kids up from school? And, you know, things like that. And so they, they storm back into Boomstein's office, put down the royalty check on the table, like, give us one more chance. We're going to work this out. Boomstein's getting a blowy. Good for him. <laughs> Very 2006. <laughs> Not going to get away with that from today. And then we start hearing some iconic songs, such as picking the kids up from school. <laughs> <laughs> I'll never win the shower Leave the toilet seat up again <laughs> Watching the old mums drool <laughs> We see like this train of like middle-aged women Swooning over these guys And then surely you love the line here I don't care much for sport Rather watch Dirty Dancing Patrick Swayze He's a yeah. good sort <laughs> <laughs> Which that ends with, you've got my heart, now you can have my remote. Uh, They're all in, like, (laughs) sweaters and jeans and flannelette shirts. We find out that their song has gone to number one. Uh, Holly is pregnant, but she rings up to basically, she's shocked to find out that Boytown has gone to number one, and instead she covers with, the possum catcher came, and there are no possums. And I love Benny G's, do we have possums? And she's like, not anymore. <laughs> we have other iconic songs here. If my love's a visa bill, I'm totally at the max. <laughs> this leads into a bit of a montage where we see them, you know, going on to great success. They're putting their hands in the cement. They've got, like, middle-aged women flashing their boobs at the car. And then uh, we end up going to this big suave party announcing their Love Handles World Tour <laughs> to- to which they go to the window. I love it. Like Benny G goes to the window. We hear all these girls screaming. Bobby Mack goes to the window. All the girls are screaming. Carl goes to the window and all these guys start screaming. And it's like, oh, very eclectic mix of people out there at the moment. Um, we get a bit of a prelude here to this uh, sort of side story, which is the one I'm talking about. Yeah, it's a bit odd. It's kind of the, oh, who's the father of Katie? Uh, that clearly um, Tommy Boy slept with Holly back in the day. Uh, so a bit of a, you know, a bit of a tease there. I do love the moment when Boomstein goes up to Holly, like, Holly, I haven't seen you since you fucked me over on my best off album. <laughs> it's like, I'll be over there then. <laughs> um, and I might sort of just, um, cap it here just before the first show. Uh, so that's at Rod Laver Arena. All tennis fans would know that. That's where they have the uh, Australian Open where the final and that's played. Con- big concert venue. I've seen Kylie Minogue and Madonna in that venue and Britney Spears. But I'm still not gay. Rocky. <laughs> All three of those artists I saw in that very venue. Um, we we get a actually I'll just cap it there before the thing. The um so Josh Lawson is here. So the two guys who are selling them on the film clip just before the Shetland ponies. So the the guy on the left is Josh Lawson, and the other guy on the right is actually uh, another pretty famous guy in Australia, Ed Cavalli, who he's a radio host in Australia. He's done a lot of TV. He hosted. Um, I really got. I really liked him during uh, one of the Soccer World Cups about ten years ago. They had a sh- a comedy show called Santo Sam and Ed's Cup Fever, and they just kind of every night sort of did a comedy take on the World Cup every day. Very very funny. Sam in that uh, trio, uh, a guy called Sam Pang. He used to be one of the co-hosts of uh, the Eurovision coverage in Australia. Very very funny man. And then the other guy on that one, Santo, he's a big collaborator with Rob Sitch, who is the director and creator of The Castle. So, again, all these connections in Australia when it comes to the comedy scene. But um, So that's Josh Lawson in his, in his debut film role. 
and Ed Cavalier, who has done a few other films, I think, since. But, um, yeah, that's we're, we're basically, I think, halfway through the movie now, essentially, just before this world tour starts. You were finding so many similarities with Canada and Australia with our film, you know, TV industries, because what you said right there is exactly what we were talking about last week with um, all the cameos in Bon Cop, Bad Cop. You know, you have these two, you know, fairly famous, semi-famous in far as Canadian terms go, uh, stars. And then you had all these big cameos that they threw throughout the movie. I don't know if this is just a thing where it's like, let's make a, a mainstream movie and everybody jumps on board. It's like, I want to be in that just in case it's a hit. Uh, but that, that's apparently a Canadian and an Australian thing. Let's just throw as many cameos as we can that uh, fit in a movie like this. Um, the scene where they're composing the song is so good. Just the dialogue is just, it's, you have to, I, I rewound it several times, not just to take the notes, but just because that, that line was so good. Like when they, uh, uh, we're talking about, it's about a boy who breaks a girl's heart <laughs> <laughs> the way that they're just so into it. And the one guy who's the professor, I think his role is supposed to be, you know, he's like their lyric writer. So he's the one who's going to give them, you know, uh, a lot of depth and emotion because he's talking about Shakespeare in the beginning and his contributions are essentially, you know, but she fears her heart may be broken forever. And then he's like, no, not forever. <laughs> eternity and they're like wow <laughs> that's why you're the writer man. <laughs> um and then the fact that they uh, uh say later on it's like but uh he still considers her to be his baby and they're like no not baby angel <laughs> and then the second song that they release is called angel baby <laughs> and they've they've just flipped those words around earlier in the 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 brainstorming session or their writing session there uh, and then that whole boy land, no boy toy, no boy, 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 no boy train. That's just so good. And it goes on forever. Like, that's just a perfect joke. Like, everything up to this point in the movie is great, other than just when the story really kicks in here, they're just, they're so all over. I think the budget has a lot to do with it. You could tell this is a low-budget movie, but still there's some sloppy moves here. Um, the first song, like you said, I Cry, it's just hilarious seeing them trying to fit in with these other boy bands, which I think that's one of the problems I have with this as a movie is that it goes against what it, sets up as the point of this movie because when he's watching his daughter watch the modern day boy band or whatever he's commenting on the difference between you know late 80s early 90s boy bands which have been like new kids on the block and then like the NSYNCs and the Backstreet Boys and the 98 degrees of like the the late 90s early 2000s is that it all became about ballads and shirts open in the rain and you know the leather and stuff like that but it was just all sappy garbage Whereas the earlier ones were like, let's have some fun. He even says something. It's like, where's all the flashy dance moves, you know, <laughs> uh, right before he starts doing that dance. And then the songs that they're releasing are the modern day boy songs. It's just, you know, I cry, Angel Baby. It's them trying to fit in with that crowd. But in all honesty, when they release their album later on, most of the songs are just the ballads as well. And that's where I think that they miss kind of an opportunity here. Because I think the songs that I liked the best were the ones where they they brought kind of the dance moves to it, where you could see the really awkward dad bod dancing and uh, songs that wouldn't have sounded any different. But I guess you could say, well, the point of the movie was just there was a difference, but still the modern sound. But he him coming out of retirement was because he thought, hey, we're better than these new boy bands. And they just spend the entire movie being the new boy bands. Um, it makes sense here. It doesn't make sense later on. Uh, the The thing that I thought was the funniest here was when they um, were coming to the conclusion of, we need to be writing songs. I know the mom, not the daughter. Uh, and they're, they're throwing back and forth you know, kids from a school. And one of the guys says, a cesarean dilemma. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 
wish that they'd done the Caesarean Dilemma song. <laughs> the Royal. Also, I thought he said earlier in the movies, thought as boy bands are out there covering our songs, but yet this is the first royalty check they ever get because you know they, they don't have any money prior to this, so they they don't. It doesn't show they have any success. Or did he just? say you know, this this is the only boy band because he had just heard that song but I, I was really unclear as to whether this is something a lot of people have been covering i i don't know i don't think it's really covered because there's there are definitely moments in this film where it's sort of like they go over how successful they were and yet at the end of the day you know someone's working construction and someone's working in a tiny little radio thing and like you know ultimately when they come back on their world tour after just mm-hmm. having like the number one album in the world and world tour and selling out and yet they just go back to their day-to-day jobs like i think kind of you know, I, I mean, I'm sure that's just kind of played for laughs that, you know, no one gives a shit about them anymore. But, I mean, let's be honest, the new kids on the block, even before they came back, I'm sure people still knew who they were and kind of, you know, uh, yeah. at least recognise them. And I'm sure they're not going to go back and work construction. So, uh, but, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I'm assuming <laughs> that they've got a bit. I mean, that house that Benny G's got would be quite expensive. It's quite close to the city. So it's kind of, you know, it's not like that's a, a they're poor or anything. But, yeah, I don't know. Uh, all those kids pay a lot of money for those dance classes. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Uh, the second song that they have, the second single, uh, the one with the, the horse uh, on the beach and stuff, uh, there's two lines in there that come back to back. I don't remember exactly what the line is. I kind of just jotted down close to it. Something about uh, I'll always separate the colors yeah. from the whites. Take as long as you want in the bathroom. I know it's your domain. <laughs> Like, this is what's brilliant about this movie is, you know, these really hilarious middle-aged dad lines as if it was a boy band. Like, it's, it's it, like I said, it despite this not being a well-made movie, it, it's got such a hilarious premise and a great script here. And, and I really do love the soundtrack, I think, more than the movie, too. I'm going to send it um, to you. I, I'm going right, to keep talking. I'm going to upload please. it to Dropbox and I'm sending it to you now. <laughs> yes. Because I got to play this because Jamie just kept looking at me weird the whole day every time I kept singing one of these songs oh, so good <laughs> and she's like well, stop it already <laughs> um this is what i thought you were gonna talk about there's there's more to come but this was the first of the very abrupt cuts where you're like really you couldn't have transitioned more when the song comes out and suddenly it's like hey good news you guys are number one like that just comes out of nowhere and, and mm. all it would have taken is a couple of clips of like the song comes out hey we got a good review and then five seconds later you know, it's like, oh, a couple of people are here for an autograph signing. And then all of a sudden you see maybe a montage of it, you know, climbing the charts or something like that. Or they say, hey, you're number one. And everybody's like, what? Shock? Because I thought he was playing a joke on them just because of how abruptly it came in the movie. Like, you really do need this is where I start to, you know, um, say this is not a good movie because there is no transition here at all. It's just, oh, this won't work. Hey, you guys are number one, and and you could have even played that for laughs. But it was just it was very awkward the way they just suddenly cut to that. Yeah, um, I see it. No, I, that that's not the, the one that I was talking about. I think the one that I when I get to you'll know what yeah. I mean because it is very strange. Yeah, but um, but, but now you point that out. I have more to come. Yeah, but I think like yeah, and <laughs> yeah. I agree with you, and I think that um, there's definitely and this is this is kind of an Australian movie thing. Like I, you do notice this in some other Australian movies, and it's again this maybe goes back to that point last week. I think I mentioned with um, Bong Cop, Bad Cop. It's like. I guess we're all so used to watching American Hollywood movies that when you do watch a movie from another yeah. country that's a different style, there are certain things that are a bit jarring to you when you're not used to it. I'm not excusing it, but it's just, it is a bit, mm-hmm. yeah, you do notice that sometimes in some Australian movies. 
and I think that's the one thing that people have to keep in mind when watching this. Like, yes, I'm coming at this as the expert on Canadian movies. You're coming at it from the expert on Australian movies, but we still see a lot more American content than we do mm-hmm. Australian or Canadian. The reason for that is just simply there's more American content out there. I mean, we've already said when you look at the population differences in Canada, Australia, and the United States, you have 10 times the amount of people in Australia or in, in uh, United States. Therefore, you're going to get 10 times the amount of, you know, uh, dollars from box office receipts and all that. So you have more money to invest. It's a bigger industry. Uh, there's just not as much content put out. But there is a very distinct Canadian style. There's very distinct Australian style. Uh, when we get to men with brooms, I think that that's more in the middle ground, but there definitely is a Canadian humor style that if you're not Canadian and not used to it, you're going to be scratching your head. I I ran into that when I showed Rossi the most famous Canadian sitcom of all time, Corner Gas, and he was just like, I don't get it at all. And yet you could be a Canadian watching that the first time and get it. And I think there, there are some moments in here where not just the filmmaking style, some of the jokes where I'm like, uh... That, that, that probably gets a bigger laugh in Australia. But then there's other things where you're like, oh, this would work anywhere. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. And I think that um, it's kind of like with Kath and Kim, if you were to watch it, because like, Mallory's watched all the Kath and Kim and she really enjoys it. But there are definitely moments where I have to like, okay, well, this is why that's funny. You know, <laughs> and like, mm-hmm. and because Kath and Kim's one of those really quotable shows, which again, people use quotes from that show in every single day life. And before Mallory had ever watched it, I would say things and she'd be like, what the fuck are you talking about? Um, and like, cause you, you met Anthony when we first met in Minneapolis and Anthony mm-hmm. and I will can sit there for like an hour and just talk back and forth like Kath and Kim and quote the shit out of it. Cause that's what we used to do in high school. That's why we had no friends, but, uh, <laughs> go to an all boys high school and quote Kath and Kim that ups your reputation quite well. Um, but yeah, no, I, yeah, definitely. And I think that, um, I'm sure there's a lot of the, the stuff in more Canadian movies that I wouldn't necessarily get. Like I didn't like the if I, I most I guess Australians wouldn't know who Don Cherry was so they wouldn't have understood the, yeah. the comedy bit from that the TV clip last week in Bon Cop Bad Cop. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of really kind of this point of the movie I think is it's kind of all going to gel <laughs> really because a lot of this is just kind of the songs now it's kind of the tour. Yeah. Um, but I do kind of like this sort of stuff pre um, the the show here. You've got Corey once again uh, fucking up the the sound. Pressing a few buttons, check, check, one, two, Houston, check, check, one, two, and then boom. And then Larry's just like, Houston, we've got a problem. <laughs> Which is funny. And then I love kind of the parody bit here when you've got um, uh, Benny and Tommy up on stage basically doing the, the dancing. So it's like, oh, what is it? It's feed the chooks, feed the chooks, crazy legs, crazy legs, Frankenstein. <laughs> Frankenstein. <laughs> just the way they're doing it. Um, we're sort of, we're going to get, it looks though, this is the moment where maybe Tommy's going to say that he slept with Holly, but no, he's, he changes his mind. Like, oh, you know, go out and have a, have a great show tonight or whatever. And this is one thing I'll quickly say, I don't know what your, your kind of take is on the acting in this movie. I mean, Mick Malloy and Glenn Robbins aren't actors. They're comedians who just happen to act. And like, no mm. one's ever going to, Mick Malloy's never going to win an Outstanding Actor Award. Mick Malloy's just the every Australian man who just plays it. Like, if you ever see any of Mick Malloy's stuff in hosting or anything like that, this is just how he is. He's just kind of just got that naturalness about him, which he, he doesn't act. He's just playing himself. And that's pretty much Glenn Robbins too. Glenn Robbins does go a little bit crazier with a lot of the things. So um, it was either in Fast Forward or Full Frontal. He he had a um, a character called Uncle Arthur. Like, look it up. I don't know if you've seen any of that clip, but that's him. And it's just, it's just, 
I can't even describe what it is. It's just hilarious the way he does it. And he's just kind of like, oh, and I walked down the street and I fell over. And... Like, it's just, he just, it's just crazy. You've got to look it up. And then also, like, outside of Kel from Kath and Kim, there was a very popular show which I actually brought back about two years ago. It was called All Aussie Adventures. And basically, it's Glenn Robbins parroting Steve Irwin, um, you know, the Crocodile, the Crocodile Dundee, kind of these real, like, Australians who go into the outback and show you how to survive and show you animals. And it's just an absolute hilarious piss take, essentially, of this thing. So you've got, he plays this guy um, called Russell Coit, who dresses up like Steve Irwin and kind of goes into the, the bush and he's like, this is how you survive, kids in the bush. If you come across this, you do this. And, like, he's giving you all this advice. But he's just so inept and dumb at his job that he eventually just always fucks up and ends up killing someone. It's hilarious. You have to watch it. Mm. Look up a clip on YouTube of Russell Coit's All Aussie Adventures. It's just hilarious. And Glenn Robbins is just, again, similar to Mick Malloy. He just he doesn't go out of his way to be an outstanding actor. He's just playing himself. That's just what he does. And he's just so natural at doing it. So, um, But, I mean, it's just, they've got great chemistry. Uh, and it's kind of, I don't know. I don't know if you really notice any acting issues in this movie. Because to me, it's just, they're just being like, themselves. I don't know if you have anything to say on the acting in this movie. I mean, I didn't know all their backgrounds. I kind of flipped through filmographies. I could tell most of them were probably comedians, but I wasn't really sure how much experience they had. To me, it was just every time they got into these dramatic scenes, I kept blaming the script because I'm like, this is really poorly written and, and poorly directed too. That's where this movie really doesn't work. So I had never thought, oh, this is a bad performance. I, I mean, it's very clear that you know it's not a very good dramatic scene, but I would have been blaming it more on the script and direction. Having heard you explain that, it makes total sense that, you know, another issue there is just they're not actors, but it doesn't play terrible. You know, I think for the rest of the movie, it's very clear this isn't a dramatic movie. Mm. So, I mean, therefore, you just expect the funny scenes are going to be really you know, uh, having you laugh and uh, that the, the jokes will be well timed. And when you get it to the dramatic stuff, it would be like if they tried to do a drama in an Austin Powers movie, you know, if it wasn't well delivered, you wouldn't really think anything of it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I love all this stuff. Like, I love it when they hug and there's kind of this ongoing joke of like, long enough for a man hug? Yep, yep. Um, uh, <laughs> and then we get this air purifier, which is going to play a little bit later on. Uh, boom scene comes in with some flowers. I just love the way he just casually walks in. Hey, here you go, guys. Good, good, you know, show night. Here you go. Got these for you. <laughs> and then Carl. Oh, these tiger lilies. Oh, they only bloom every few weeks. They're yeah. beautiful. <laughs> what? I'm not. <laughs> and then they sort of have their pep talk and they're like, Smell that? That's fear. That's what they can smell. So let's put that aside. And then Corey's just like, oh, sorry. That was me. That was a good one, wasn't it? (laughs) (laughs) Fart joke. Always funny. Um, Bobby Mack kind of goes into the crowd and sort of you hear all these jokes from the people, which this is one of those ones where it's a little bit like you see what they're doing, but it kind of doesn't make sense because... Mm-hmm. They've they've gone out of their way to try and be relevant. They failed, so okay, let's try this new thing, and then everybody loves them. And yet, all of a sudden, now you've got all the sound guys and everybody kind of just making jokes, saying like, "Hey guys, we've got a problem. It's working." Um, and you know, like it's funny, but at the same time, like, have we heard anybody kind of bag them out post their their new style of music? I don't think mm-hmm. we have. So that's to me where that that sh- that joke should have been played like early on. Like maybe they had a, a performance when they were trying to do, like, I Cry and Angel Baby, that's where that joke would have worked. Here it's kind of like, huh? Like, but everyone's loving them at the moment. No one's making fun of them right now. Mm-hmm. So that's that's a bit of a silly, weird bit. 
I do love the concert scenes. And again, this is just me nitpicking and it probably all comes down to the budget. You've got them in Rod Laver Arena, uh, you know, this big concert venue. And then all of a sudden they're on stage and it just looks like they're in like a, you know, a school auditorium with like... (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) 10 people cheering in the front row with like a stage with a couple of blocks on it. It's like six rows of folding chairs. Yeah. (laughs) But I mean, again, it all comes down to the budget. I mean, they kind of intersect this with like an over-the-head shot of some massive concert somewhere, which again, that's too big for uh, Rod Labor Arena. But I love the way that they like... All these people are chanting, boy town, boy town. And then you hear, like, Bobby Max talking, and everyone's like, ah, ah. And then you've got one woman's holding a baby. I've never noticed that before, but she's holding a baby. In the I, I missed it. <laughs> and then I love it when she's like, my baby doesn't love me. It must be the special time of the month. <laughs> <laughs> and they start dancing. And then I think I found that line I was trying to work out before off air. I know you're feeling grim. You've got the painters in. <laughs> Uh, and then we hear like the other the parent teacher night, and the moment where they're like, um, "It's parent teacher night." I know he's not too bright, and they kind of do like the duh thing around his head. <laughs> and they're doing like cellulite lady. Oh, that's cellulite the best song lady. in this whole movie. And then loving you is so simple. <laughs> Is that the one with the treadmills and they get that woman up on stage and she's like prancing on the And then they get the love handles, they're all right, love handles. <laughs> just, again, you will listen to these songs to death because they're just so much fun. Um, they end up going on their world tour. Uh, they're getting on this plane. Uh, I love Boom Scene here again. All right, guys, this is uh, whatever the uh, the sidekick guy's name is. I can't remember. Um, Andy, isn't it, I think? Um, he he can organise anything. And if anything, I mean hookers. <laughs> <laughs> and, there's like, and also, you've been nominated for five Arias. Now, the Arias are Australia's Grammys or Junos or whatever you want to call them. Mm-hmm. So they're our biggest music award. Um so that's great. They've been nominated for those. And I love uh, Holly sort of here like, oh, no kissing girls. What happens on tour stays on tour. If only that was true. Uh, <laughs> and then you oh. kind of get the little shot of... Foreshadowing. Yeah, foreshadowing. Again, this is the one plot line where it's like, okay, fine. Um, they leave from Melbourne to Tokyo. We see Tasmania on that map. Yay. Uh, <laughs> they skip right over it. They do. Uh, <laughs> typical world tour. Which, again, it doesn't make sense. Why they start in Melbourne and end in Sydney? Like, okay, surely they would just do that all in one. Um, they're in Tokyo. We're learning about dishpan hands. I want to touch you all over with our dishpan hands. Um a bit of a scene with uh, Holly in the den looking at all the records. I do love Katie here. Let's burn them. <laughs> it's kind of funny. And I, I just, I, I really randomly like this scene because it's like, Katie, do you have a boyfriend? Yes. What's he like? He's really hot. And then she's like, oh, that's good then. Good looks. That's the most important thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, so. But again, like, you see what I mean? Like, they set her up like she's supposed to be a negative character and a line like that reinforced it. But I don't think that was the intention. Yeah. Yeah. No, I definitely see what you say. But Sally Phillips, I think she's just very natural. I mean, I, I'm not overly familiar with a lot of work. I mean, again, I clearly only know her from Bridget Jones's diary as Sharon yeah. as the one. Come the fuck on, Bridget. Um, basically that person. Uh, but, I mean, looking at it. She's a, really good for what she has to work with in that. Yeah, she's in Notting Hill. She was Caroline. Which one was Caroline in Notting Hill? 
I can't. I mean, I love that movie, but I can't remember which character. Yeah. Anyway, um, but you know, again, this is kind of a, a thing that Australian movies will often do. They'll get like one sort of decent act. Well, I'm saying decent, not that the other actors aren't decent, but as in, <laughs> you, I love you picked the one non-Australian to be like they get one decent actor. <laughs> I mean, like sort of a semi-recognizable star. Like they, um, yeah. there was a we do the same. There was a movie in Tasmania, uh, filmed in Tasmania called Arctic Blast. It was terrible. Uh, but it was basically about like a polar wind that came up from Antarctica and was about to take over the world. And because the Antarctic base in Australia is in Hobart, it was all filmed in Hobart. And I had a lot of, um, so basically the local actors in Hobart, uh, I used to have a lot of them on uh, my radio show at the time. And we often would talk about it because they were all in it. Like, you know, the only actors in Hobart, of course they're going to be in it. But they ended up getting um, one of the guys from Stargate SG-1, the young guy. Um, from that to come and star in it. Um, oh, what's his name? Anyway, we, we, we should have to cover that movie one time, maybe in Bad Movie Month or something like that, or even in Australia v Canada Month one year, because it, it's just it's one of these so bad movies, and it's just hilarious seeing like Hobart as a city that's getting destroyed like in an in a end-of-the-world movie. Michael Shanks is the guy they ended up getting. Oh, yeah, he's Canadian. Is he Canadian? Okay, well, there you go. Uh, and actually, I'm, oh, yeah, I'm just, very big Canadian. Well, I'm seeing here that the film was shot in Tasmania and in Ottawa. In, uh, <laughs> so there you go. But um, anyway, not the point. The point is that they kind of are a common Australian movie thing of getting that. It's like um, was they did that Ned Kelly. They did uh, in like 2003 yeah. and they got Orlando Bloom to come out and be with Heath Ledger. So things like that. Um, but yeah, so we're in Japan, uh, dishpan hands. Um, we've got this weird little storyline about the fact that the, the seamstress is quitting because a button like hits the woman in the head, so they end up getting grand. They're in London randomly. You kind of don't know they're in London. You don't see that bit happening. Um, Bobby, uh, sorry, Tommy ends up sleeping with another woman uh, who slept with back on, like, the world tour and be quiet, the kids are asleep. Uh, And then their whole idea to get another costume person is to go back, get grand, which I don't understand their flight, London to Melbourne and back to (laughs) Los Angeles. I mean, it's... 14 hours from Melbourne to Los Angeles. It's about a 17-hour flight from Perth to London. So you're looking at, you know, a 24-hour flight to get from London to Melbourne and then another 14 hours. So, And they had to personally do it too. Yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah. They're in San Francisco. We have this press conference. <laughs> <laughs> Carl, how are you enjoying San Francisco? Oh, I just feel really at home here. I mean, we all do. <laughs> And then, is it true that you're going to be doing a, a rooftop gig? And then they start making this joke about Kmart. No one believes him. It's like, no, we're being serious. We're performing just above the big K. It's going to be a Kmart. Yeah. <laughs> um, we find that uh, Benny G is trying to get a hold of Holly, but she's not answering. They end up going to Rio. Uh, <laughs> I love this scene in the bar. This is just hilarious. <laughs> There, Benny G's talking to Bobby about, like, can't get through. We kind of get this little montage of, uh, you know, all the phone calls and the messages that have been left, including him being seductive in a G-string. And then you hear all the boy members coming in and ca- catching him. And I love Bobby Mac. Oh, thanks for clearing that up for me. I was, a bit wonder- I was a bit worried about what was going on there. And then Benny G's here like, oh, my head's just all over the place. I don't even know what city I am. And you got this, like, seductive woman at the bar. You are in Rio. And it's kind of like, oh, thanks for that. And then this woman starts saying, I would like to dedicate this song to a man. He's a member of Boytown over there. 
that's just you're sitting at the bar you're all alone you're looking sad can i have sex with you (laughs) (laughs) and just the look on both benny g and uh, bobby's face and they just like their head just go what (laughs) and all of a sudden it starts going into don't tell your wife I'll let you touch me there. Do me, do me, do me, Benny, do me. <laughs> it's so fucking hilarious. I love it. I love it so much. Um, we get the other members of the boy band going around the, the halls, eating the food, uh, stealing stuff from uh, Benny G's uh, mini fridge, pretending to be housekeeping, housekeeping. Can yeah. I turn down your pillow? You got fresh towels. Um, there, there actually was a clip on the best of of Martin Malloy where they kind of do this whole segment around housekeeping where Mick Malloy does do that. So it's kind of an ongoing joke that he does. Uh, we get the phone call where uh, Tommy pretends to be Benny and we hear Boonstein on the other end of the line going like, the deal's on. It's all good. You're going to go all the way. You're going to go all the way, Benny. And of course, I should have mentioned we had another scene when Bobby Mac's um, skulking around the backstage he saw Boomstein and mm-hmm. Benny having a conversation. It's, oh, is he going to have another solo album? Clearly, this is what they're setting up. Um, somehow, uh, Benny G ends up in the room with this seductive woman. He breaks, what, the glass in his hand. Uh, I love it kind of when she's like, oh, your hand is bleeding. Let's go back to your room. And then I love his reaction. That seems like the most sensible thing to do. Yes. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um, she tries to have sex with him. <laughs> Basically, he's just like, no, 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 I can't. I, I, I have a wife. I can't do this. And she's like, you, you bastard. All men are bastards. You keep your tiny penis in your pants. Bastard. Went to my brother. He's about this. <laughs> I love this woman. She's so hilarious. Um, storms out. Then there's a knock on the door. And he's like, oh, for God's sakes, I love my wife. And opens the door. <laughs> It's Holly and Katie. And she's like, I love you too. <laughs> and all the people in the hallway. Uh, and he's like, oh, I do this every time at this night. I love my wife. And then everyone in the corner, I love my wife. I love my wife too. Um, yeah. One of the uh, guys in that hallway is another famous Australian comedian, Akmal Saleh. He's sort of the guy closest on the left there. He's very, very funny. Uh, so again, another random little, little cameo there from a well-known Australian comedian. Obviously, though, Holly tells him that he, he's she's pregnant, and he comes straight away and he's like, "Well, I'm my pregnant wife." Uh, <laughs> uh, and I might just kind of um, cap it at the the whole voice, uh, the whole uh, lip syncing moment. Yeah. So they fly back. Um, Tommy's all upset. Uh, clearly, they're here and they're you know on the plane. They're got one last show before they do their big performance at the Arias, uh, but. Somehow, the, was it Carl sneeze or Corey sneeze into the air purifier? So they're all sick. Mm-hmm. They've all lost their voices. But lucky that their Tokyo gig was recorded. So, hey, we're going to lip sync. So they're going to lip sync their final show in Sydney. And we find out during this concert, though, that um, Boomstein has left this tape on the dashboard of his car. And we see um, Larry or whatever his name is, the sound guy, basically is like, oh, like, Ooh, that's not going to be good. The tape fucks up. Everyone finds out they're the lip syncing. They turn on them so quickly. Everyone's just like, boo, mm. boo, get off, you suck. Uh, I love the argument scene when they're all like, you're a bastard, you're a traitor. <laughs> like they've got no voices. And it's like, what about Betty G, big yeah. fat traitor? And it's like, what are you talking about? I arranged this to perform at the Grammys. Uh, and then I love 
I love Mick Malloy's delivery when he's like, Boy Town, Grammys, fuck. <laughs> he just like storms <laughs> out of the room. And they all end up back at their everyday jobs apparently now after this. Um, Corey's back at the... <laughs> Uh, the radio what? station, and it's like, yes, let's check on the dam levels. Uh, what, what are the dam levels like, John? Yeah, they're pretty low. Okay, thanks, thanks, John. Um, I, I love Vic Malloy's basically trying to get himself run over, and this truck driver somehow thinks that a sign says go with the person saying, and then he's one going, oh, you fucking dickhead, get out of the road. <laughs> and I also love Bobby Mack when he's in his uh, class and Dick's student uh, excuse me, sir, I have a tape of one of your previous lectures. Perhaps you could just mime to that. <laughs> Funnily enough, I was going to do that for this podcast episode, but I think you all would have um, gathered that I was lip syncing. Um, so, yeah, we're basically setting ourselves up uh, just ahead of the arias and uh, everything that happened in between that middle section. Um, all right, so first question. Um is there a such thing as a famous Australian boy band? Uh, yes, Human Nature. Um, Human Nature. Oh, they're Australian. Okay. You've heard of Human Nature? I well, yeah, because I, I think they had a Christmas album well, that uh, I had downloaded. They in the sort of the nineties, they were just very boy bandy. You know, they released a couple of you know fairly big radio hits, and then they kind of failed. So then they basically turned to like Motown. Uh, and then they they have a Vegas show. Like they got a, I think they became the first Australian group to ever get a residency in. In Vegas, so they've pretty much now gone on to become more well known for like their Motown style thing. But in the nineties, they That's they were I a boy. Uh, I mean, there were a couple in the a uh, not nothing like huge, like nothing on the level of mm-hmm. an actual boy. But I'd say Human Nature would be the closest thing to a, an Australian boy band. Because I just thought it was really weird when they were doing the montages at the beginning showing how successful they were like five number one hits like obviously they're talking about in australia but then they say how famous they are around the world and it was only like at the end of their career at like their fourth album where they were performing the grammys the first time like they don't clearly say in the movie that they had just hit it big in america Mm. and when they have their revival here, it's sort of showing like everybody in the world already knew who they were. Like they were this, they were considered the original boy band. Um, but this sort of made it like, Oh, they were just the biggest Australian boy band. But then the movie says they're the biggest boy band period. Um, I was just sort of curious because like, are the Australian, you know, Grammys, the Arias or whatever, are they that famous that they would pick that over the Grammys? Because they like, it wasn't their first time there, obviously. And that's what kind of the climax of the movie is going to be set up as, uh, if it was just that big of a deal where they're like, Oh, of course we love Australia. But I would think if they were famous around the world, it wouldn't be their first time being at the Grammys still. Yeah. I mean, look, the Arias are a, a weird thing because, um, really the only big Australian awards ceremony that everybody gets excited about and talks about are the Logies, which are our TV one. Um, I mean, the Arias, <laughs> they're called the Logies. They're called the Logies. <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> standard reaction for a non-Australian hearing that for the first time. But, um, I mean, the Aries kind of, it depends. Like, there are years where they're, they're pretty big, like a lot of talk in the lead-up to it, but then every few years they kind of struggle to even get on TV and they end up being in, like, a small little hall and sometimes they perform at the Sydney Opera House. Like, last year it was, like, Guy Sebastian hosted it and I think they were on TV and all that sort of stuff. But I think they've lost a lot of their um, flair because, like, we have a, a fair bunch of big-name artists, like, you know... One Direction, there we go. There's a boy band now that are they're one of the biggest in the world. Uh, not One Direction. Um, mm-hmm. fucking Five Seconds of Summer. Sorry. Uh, they, I mean they're, yeah. they're big. Thank you. Wrong one. Um, but 
you know, like Sia and, and Gotche and Iggy Azalea, like these are big name artists that really never get rewarded at the Aries and they're, they're the artists that should be because they're the ones who are dominating the global charts. They kind of, Aries now are just, mm-hmm. let's give it to the hipster Triple J bands who are kind of, you know, producing this. Like it's, it's kind of odd like that they do that. But um, there was a period where the Aries would be like, let's give it to the biggest one in a, in a while. Because I think like Guy Sebastian won his very first Aria last year and like he mm-hmm. has been around for a while now. But um, no, they're not... Like, you would definitely choose the Grammys over the Aries. 100%. <laughs> like, yeah. there is no question about that. Uh, no no question at all. And, like, boy bands, how big were they in Australia back in the day? Oh, yeah. I mean, just just as big as they would be anywhere. I don't know about New Kids on the Block. That was, I mean, I was a baby, basically, when they were around. But, mm. uh, yeah, Backstreet Boys, huge. Uh, NSYNC, huge. We had... Um, and we'd get the British ones, too. So... I don't know, like Westlife, mm-hmm. um, you know, Take That, Five, sort of we would get the British side of things as well. So we kind of, we got both angles basically of the Atlantic. So yeah, boy bands, huge. I mean, One Direction, huge. Five, six, five seconds of summer, funnily enough, not as big in Australia as I think they are in America, but hey, we've got brains yeah. now because five cells suck. <laughs> um, you know what's weird with two off-topic things, but just on the topic of boy bands here, but uh in Canada, like boy bands are huge, um, or always were huge, but yet you you can never find a Canadian boy band. Uh, the Backstreet Boys, funny enough, you know they made it big in Canada months before anybody heard from the United States. Like it was a weird thing where their album was released and they kind of made it big in different parts of the world. But like even before they were across Canada, I remember when they first started getting played. This is probably like the summer of '96 uh, in Can English speaking Canada. The big deal was this is a band that has basically been like number one after number one after number one in Quebec. Again, how (laughs) Quebec has its own industry. And then all of a sudden they started getting played in Canada. It was like six, they'd probably had three number one singles in Canada before any of their songs were played in America. Hmm. So like boy bands kind of made their comeback here in Canada. But like when you're in England, they never went away. And I think that's one of the the weird things with me uh, watching this movie uh, and again, I'm not saying like the style of comedy is obviously different, but the idea of let's make a boy band movie, an Australian boy band that was famous all around the world, because I, I did, I, I think I had heard Five Seconds of Summer, you know, were Australian at some point, but I don't really know of any Australian boy bands. But this feels like it should be the premise for a British movie because, like you said, take that they never went away. You know, they were they were keeping alive between New Kids on the Block and Backstreet and Boys Robbie and Williams and everything like that. Come out of that as well. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and, and like it, it, that's only one of many very successful boy bands there. So this almost felt like you know something that would fit in England more than it would fit in Australia. And I don't know if that was a reflection on whether it was a hit if boy bands just weren't that big in Australia or not. But it's just weird because I keep having to remind myself, no, this isn't a British movie because everything here feels British. Because I think that would have made more sense too if the Brit Awards are such a big thing, mm. you know, that oh, we would pick that over the Grammys. Uh, I think in Canada, we're kind of like maybe a step up from the Arias just um, in terms that uh, I remember like back during the most successful time for Canadian music, which would have been the late 90s, early 2000s. You know, when Alanis Morissette and Celine Dion and Shania Twain and Nickelback were all winning Grammys and and big hits in America, they would come home for the Juno Awards still, even if they were like the biggest deal everywhere else in the world they would still make a point to come home but you know it, it's definitely something where you'll see certain people will skip the junos it's like oh you know i got a tour date in in rio let's say so they'll skip the junos it's not unheard of but you know our biggest stars will still come home for that um yeah this section of the movie i mean it, it, 
the songs are what keeps it alive because the story really does not work here. I don't understand anything of what they're trying to do. Like, I understand the point of the movie. So I'm going to talk about the negatives of the story and then get to the good stuff with the songs. But the whole thing with him and his wife, like, it's not clearly stated in the movie. I completely understood what was going on, but it's like they don't make it clear enough that she slept with Tommy. I think Tommy was the one she slept with. Yeah. Yeah, so they don't make that so clear where you understand they're going with that. Although it's clear enough that you like you suspect it. It's like, uh, so what's the deal here? Is it that he slept with her? And then when she starts getting really weird and not returning his phone calls and stuff like that, and he's like, you know, we Tommy's calling, we need to talk. I'm like, so are they going to be going in the direction of that he's the father of the baby or something? These are all just things you're thinking in your head, but it's such a small part of the movie and just almost thrown in as an afterthought that – I don't feel like your average audience is going to pick up or even care on this so much so that when she does show up at the hotel and he closes the door and he finds like, you know, I love my pregnant wife, which, which is a hilarious moment. But I had completely forgotten at that point that she had the pregnancy test because it's just such a non-factor from that moment where she takes it to when she comes back in the movie. It, it just sort of felt weird to me. And there, there, there really are. This is what I said earlier. They're all over the place with her character and this story because Tommy's there and he's involved somehow and – then he's got this other woman who's picking him up at the bar and he almost cheats on her but doesn't. And I feel like that's only there so that you, when she does have the reveal later on, you know, you're not blaming her as much. But as well, that's weird because it feels like they've sort of written her to be a negative character. But the way that Sally Phillips is playing it is just more positive. Uh, but it's just it's it's just a bizarre story that I don't think ever really works. Um, but the world tour, like the budget really hurts it here too. Like it really hurts. Not just the whole, you know, oh, we see him walking around the big arena and then it's the the the, the lawn chairs <laughs> in an auditorium. Uh, but just the fact that there's a lack of media coverage. You know, they're talking about how they're making it big everywhere. And you see this one press conference, which you're going to get this in, in anything. I remember, you know, Doctor, Doctor Who's become such a big deal now. But uh, it, even just in the revived version of Doctor Who, like when David Tennant was still on it, we're talking like season three, so 2007, 2008, and they did an episode um, that was supposed to take place in Manhattan, and you could tell they had an all-British cast because they're not going to fly to America or not going to hire all-American actors. You're going to take what you can get. And funny enough, Andrew Garfield was uh, – one of his first roles was playing a character on Doctor Who that was supposed to be from New York. And he gave the worst New York accent ever, which is why I'm amazed that he can do it well later on. But that's kind of what it felt like to me like in this press conference. It's like yeah. Australians, I'm trying to sound American. Eh? Very, very <laughs> like, bad American accent. <laughs> It's real. The Carl, budget really hurts it here. Carl, yeah, what exactly. do you what do you think of San Francisco, Carl? Yeah, overemphasizing. Very it. awkward. <laughs> um, and and when you know the the world tour starts taking off, like I they this is where I'm frustrated more with this could have been a, a better made movie because they have shots like this later on where they'll have a news anchor being like, and in latest news, Boytown is, you know, uh, you know, going to be up for however many areas. Uh, why couldn't you just take 30 extra seconds and film a clip with that same person? I don't care if they, they don't change wardrobe and just Boytown begins their world tour and fans are going crazy. Like there's a lot of stuff that you could have filled in. This almost goes back to our, you know, Man of Steel, Batman versus Superman comparison about how what was lacking in Man of Steel was you don't see the world's reaction. Like, I want to see the world reacting because it just leaves so many questions for me about 
like I was saying, were they ever famous in America? Is it a big deal that they're coming back here? Does anybody remember them? Did they never make it big there? And they just could have filled in a lot of the gaps there. Uh, But these two songs in particular, um, the the upbeat songs, I would say, where I'm like, this is where they really shine because it doesn't just sound like a generic ballad. Uh, The uh, Cellulite Lady, especially (laughs) like when they're when you first see them, the way it plays is you see them. It looks like they're kind of walking, but you're like, but they're on a stage. What are they walking on? (laughs) And then you see them on the treadmills. And that alone is funny that there's just a stage show where they're doing this really cool, you know, this is my cool studly strut. You know, I'm on a treadmill, baby. (laughs) And then you get the joke when they bring the girl up on stage who's who's not heavy, but she's clearly, you know, mom bod. uh, (laughs) And they put her on the treadmill and then they start saying, cellulite lady, <laughs> cellulite lady. <laughs> like, I just burst out laughing watching that. It's so good. Uh, and then the, the special time of the month is just uh, lyrically, that is amazing. Um, I read it off air to you, the one about I know how to behave uh, when you get hit with your crimson wave. <laughs> like, it's so good. And this is this is where, you know, the writing of the movie is. So I, I don't care that it are, they are just songs. Like, this is funny enough that I was rewinding and listening to parts of the songs. So just that one line was so good. I got to hear that again. Uh, it's just brilliant. Um, so I'm okay that they're just doing a musical sequence here and a bunch of their songs. Pussy Whipped was another good one. Oh, yes. <laughs> I'm Pussy Whipped. <laughs> Go on and give me some. I'm Pussy Whipped. <laughs> uh, like, there's so many great songs in here. Like, that's I, I'm going to walk away for this. If I never watch a movie again, I am going to listen to the soundtrack to death. <laughs> Um, the sequence where, um, uh, who was it? Was it Bobby, uh, who was walking around the yeah. arena in disguise? Yeah. Uh, I just love, this is where the facial stuff, this is where you really get comedians, you know, out of these guys. Uh, because he puts on this hood and he's got this intense look on his face. Like, I, you know, I'm incognito. Nobody's going to know who I am. Meanwhile, this crew he could have been walking through wearing a bobby mack shirt that says boy town on the back and they still would have no clue who he is uh but it's just funny to see like the way that he looks walking around this arena but i kind of took a different thing away from it than you did when you're saying like oh everybody's mocking them now because this is an all-male crew and like i was saying earlier on guys this music was never meant for us so you can't blame a guy for not liking it and we're seeing that they are targeting a very clear fan base of middle-aged women so i just sort of assume this was well this is the male audience but that also doesn't work because he's taking offense to it and this is supposed to be a thing like oh we're a joke we're not as good as we thought but they never go anywhere with that dramatically but also so just, i'm like okay so- yeah i think the thing mm, that, with that though is that kind of like yeah i think that makes sense but then that doesn't make sense at the very end when you've got the pilots who are fans and then you've got yeah, the, exactly. the air traffic controller who's clearly a fan yeah, but like my takeaway was, oh, this is the way guys respond, but then they play it the other way. And I don't think it works either way because you don't have, there's no payoff. This is where it hurts to have five guys and you have to give them all some personal story because there's just no time to give Bobby Mack his moment of, you know, we're a joke to everybody, you know, it's not worth it. And it's like, don't worry, they're just a bunch of rude roadies. <laughs> uh, but it is, it is kind of funny just the way that they're making fun of them uh, too. It goes back to like, when you had the review of the the hardest working pants in show business, um, the the scene at the bar, um, it, what what the funniest part for me with this wasn't the song because when the song first started, I'm like, this is really annoying. But it's the fact that it keeps going on and on where you're like, it, it's hilarious because it's annoying. 
and w- they cut away from it. And when they cut, b- cut, cut back to it, and she's still going, do me, do me, do me. <laughs> I just envisioned, because they had cut away for quite a while, I envisioned that this was an hour later and she's still singing the same song and he still has that look on his face like, I'm about to explode. That was really funny to me. And, and Glenn Robbins, like, again, the comedian showing through, the fact that he has this expression on his face that is so funny to watch, that you don't have to have, like, lines of dialogue or anything going on just looking at his face it, it tells the whole story and it's really funny and just the way that he responds when he cuts his hand he's like i we better go back to your hotel and Patrick, yes i think that's a very good idea like, <laughs> just, he has this moment of exploding like <laughs> it's so good um i don't know what the point is of having him you know almost sleep with this woman again unless it's supposed to be so you forgive the wife a little bit more later on uh, but the way that it pays off with her exploding on and is like, how dare you? I'm going to get my brother. Who's her brother, too? I don't <laughs> like, know. The brother never shows up. <laughs> um, but yeah, when, when he opens it, I love my wife. <laughs> His wife's standing right there. I do this all the time. I love my wife. I love my wife. And then, oh, I love my wife, too. It's it's such a great scene. Um, that's a very small hotel room. For, the, for a <laughs> band that has hit number one and they're doing a world tour, like... I have paid for $60 a night hotel rooms that are more <laughs> lavish than that. Again, the budget really hurting it here. But, I mean, the songs are the star here. Uh, and even, you know, when they're doing the um, uh, the, the lip syncing thing there, you know, the the way that the music speeds up and everything and slows down, that, that one joke that just lands right at the end where after they are already being booed off stage, you're, thank you, Tokyo, good night. <laughs> Not <in> Tokyo. <laughs> Like you didn't think this through. Uh, and yeah, the, the, the way that they're doing the, you know, because they've all lost their voice. It's like, we were going to go to the Grammys. <laughs> I love that. Um, the lip syncing thing, that's the one thing that kind of dates this movie because obviously there was the scandal like in the early 90s with Millie Vanilli. And that was like disastrous. That did end a career. Uh, this is obviously playing on the Ashley Simpson thing on Saturday Night Live mm. when he got caught lip syncing, which topical you know i think that happened 2003 or 2004 i don't remember exactly when but around this time so topical for 2006 but it shows how far we've come now because when you see live performance it doesn't matter if it's an award show uh if it's you know uh like some big when they have these big macy's day parades and every five minutes you got a big song like you can tell all those people people are lip-syncing and there was the the new year's eve show not this past year but the year before that mariah carey sang and people were criticizing her vocals and she's like it's minus 20 degrees outside, and I actually sang. She was basically taking a shot at the fact that everybody else performing on that night was clearly lip-syncing. This is just a given now. Like, if you see somebody, they're not lip-syncing, you're impressed. Like, oh, they're not lip-syncing. But, like, back in 2006, this would have been a big deal where it potentially would have, ended, at least briefly, you know, ended their career or gotten them a lot of heat. So, I mean, I give them credit for that now. But you watch this now. If somebody doesn't remember that time, they would be like, what's the big deal? Everybody lip-syncs because that's just the thing now. Hmm. Yeah, it's a good point. Um, and that's very true, kind of all that around there. And there was, what was the most recent one at the Super Bowl that year? The Red Hot Chili Peppers kind of came out and yeah. Flea was like playing his guitar and then was like, um, that's not connected to anything, anyone, guys. And he's like, yeah, well, the NFL said they don't care. They don't want us playing our instruments live. <laughs> so it's like, blame the NFL. <laughs> um, but it's actually funny, like just quickly uh, on the singing, because I, I'm sure you could probably tell it's not actually the actors who are singing. But yeah, I think. But <laughs> but what I think is done well though with this is that like you, there are legitimately moments you can't tell, and I think they've gotten singers who actually suit the vocals of the actors, particularly like Bobby Mack. Like when you're hearing "I Cry," and you hear the singer 
who is clearly being Bobby Mack, it's kind of got that deeper, gruffer voice that almost very sounds like his English accent. <laughs> so I think one thing that works in this movie is that while, yeah, it's kind of obvious it's not the actor singing, you can kind of, you forget that. So even when you're seeing the songs being sung and these actors are lip syncing and miming it, it actually is believable at the same time. So that to me is like one thing that I think like actually really works with it. But um, and they do make them sound like middle-aged guys too. Yeah. You know, like they're not trying to make them sound like they sound like guys who have been out of the business for twenty years, which is exactly what they are. Yeah, no, exactly, completely agree. And but yeah, like this whole sequence just before we get to this whole reveal around the baby. Um, again, going back to my point, I said it earlier. It's kind of like these guys have had the number one song, number one album in the world. They're nominated for five arias. They're about to go to the Grammys, and yet they're just going to go back to being a crossing guard and like working yeah. construction. Yeah. I don't think that's and how And what's happens. worse about that is that, you know, they they say something like, you know, oh, this just happened. Like, mm. it, it's been a week. Yep. I think they even say that at one point, last week. I'm like, it took you one week to go back to your job? And the press would you be still hounding them. The in. press would be hounding yeah, exactly. them. exactly. You know? So, but no budget. Yeah. <laughs> um, so Bobby Mack and, and Tommy kind of had this conversation and – um, Bobby Mac's like basically saying, Tommy, you've got to go speak to Benny. Like, you know, you've got to go apologize to him. So he eventually shows up, uh, to the house. And then we have this big scene in the basement where the reveal comes out that, the that Tommy and Holly slept with each other, but Benny G knew all along. So it's all sorted. But then all of a sudden it just comes into notion. Oh, I think Katie might be uh, his daughter. And this mm-hmm. is the transition that to me just always irks me. Like you just kind yeah. of have this reveal and then it just fades to Benny half naked on a bed listening to slowed down song version of Parent Teacher Night, um, or whatever it is. It's it's very weird. It's just it's just it's odd. It kind of takes you out of the movie for like, like a moment. Where is he? Yeah. It's I'm th- I was thinking he's upstairs in the attic or something, but like he's apparently supposed to be somewhere else. It's just it's just very strange. This is the one part of the movie mm-hmm. which I've never gotten. And then you, you kind of cut to um, Tommy, like, dancing and sweating. He's doing the, the pendulum swing. You've got the news report here, and then Benny G's at the bar. Holly's trying to call him. Uh, I do admit, though, like, I do laugh at this moment when he's got the little paternity test. And he's like, I've got my own award to give out. And the nominees are Tommy, boo, Benny G, hooray. <laughs> and the winner is, and he ends up burning it. Um, and then basically... The, and then it gets out of control. And the guy's like, right, you're off tap. No more light beer for you. <laughs> I really don't... Like, I just... This whole joke about him and the light beers. And again, this news report is saying, like, there's rumours that Benny G's gone away and he's in this bar. Like, how are people not recognising him? This is Benny G, lead singer of Boytown. Um, yeah. The Arias happen. Uh, they're all sort of... Because they're contractually obliged to show up here. That's why they're here. I do like random boom scene here, basically telling, um, was it Kenny to fuck off or whatever? Like, just, I miss, I missed that line earlier, didn't I? I think I, I alluded it to it when it's like, oh, all my friends and family are here. Lawyers. Kenny. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> he's just a dick to him. Um, we had the Arias. I will say that uh, when we've got this introduction of the Arias, uh, the guy who's saying, like, you're here for the Night of Nights, that's James Matheson, who uh, is was one of the co-hosts of Australian Idol. Um, so there's a, a fun fact for everybody out there. He actually he he hosted a um, like a short-lived breakfast show. He's just a TV personality in Australia, but most people would know him as a uh, host of Australian Idol uh, for a long time. 
And then we've got the award that's presented for Album of the Year, which is presented by Ella Hooper, lead singer of Australian band Killing Heidi, if you've heard of them. Um, I No, I, I thought, though, just by the way that they were showing her that this was supposed to be somebody famous. But yeah. no, I haven't heard of them. So I think we briefly talked about Killing Heidi on our Spider-Man 2 recap because on the Australian soundtrack version, they released a song called I Am, which I think I might have sent to you. Um, so that's Killing Heidi. They were, they were pretty big in the late 90s in Australia. Um, but then everyone's booing them. <laughs> They're just kind of like, oh, our lip syncing, uh, you know, that wasn't us. We do really sing. I don't understand the logistics of presenting Album of the Year first. Because uh, yeah. album of the year is the last award. It's kind of also like when they say like we're going to be performing at this year's Grammys again. Like to be nitpicky, the Aries are usually held in like October, November. The Grammys are held in like January, February. So doesn't really make sense. But okay, when they say this year's, but whatever. Um, so while they're getting booed, Benny G comes out on stage and they start doing an a cappella version. And all of a sudden, everyone's turned around straight away. Like yay, they can sing um, because of one a cappella moment. They get a standing ovation. Um, everybody makes up backstage. It's a glorious moment. James Matheson reveals that they've um, all ended up uh, winning, what, four different arias. They've won Song of the Year, Album of the Year, Video of the Year, and for some reason, Best New Talent, which I don't <laughs> understand why Boytown have won Best New Talent, but okay. They perform at the Arias. Uh, the big reveal is that Carl is gay because he gets Andy up on stage or whatever his name is. What? He's hot. Um, and, like, they could have ended the movie here. Like, I'm not going to complain about the ending because I think it's it's an odd ending. But, like, there's definitely a cut point here where you could play credits and that's the movie because it sort of it flashes mm-hmm. to a white screen. That could be the end of the movie. But we basically have the end of the movie now where they're all going on a plane they're going off to the Grammys, uh, this big glorious moment. We've got the discussion between Bobby and Benny saying, this is it, this is going to be the closure of our chapter now. Uh, the pilots are huge fans, they get them into the cockpit. I love how they're all like fanboying out and you've got the air traffic controller. Oh my god, Boytown, everyone tune into like chapter two on the channel or whatever it is. And then bloody Corey presses buttons, the plane crashes and they all die. <laughs> <laughs> and then we get sort of the, the morning montage at the end. I love it how they're like, we've released the black box recordings and it's this great sadness to say that it's gone to platinum. <laughs> and number two in Germany. How bad is that? <laughs> um, love Boomstein. And I even like the weird narration when they're like, the world was in mourning. Some even had grief counselling. like, okay. Um, <laughs> that's just a weird thing to say. And then we end at the funeral it's all very dark, sort of monotone um, shots. And then it all ends with the members of Boytown in the sky singing a cover of Seasons in the Sun, which I believe is a Canadian uh, song. I don't know if you are familiar with this song, but I didn't actually... I'd heard it, yeah. I never even knew. I'll be completely honest with you. I didn't know that this was a cover until like a couple of years ago. It like came on the radio. I'm like, wait, this isn't Boytown. And then I looked it up, and Terry Jacks, I think, made it famous, and I believe he's Canadian. But I, I love... This is maybe my actual favourite song from the whole movie. I love this version of it. And sort of, they're all looking all solemn down, don't be sad, all this sort of stuff. And then that's the end of Boytown. So the end is really weird. Um, <laughs> that, that, like, really weird. Uh the the review you said earlier on, or I guess I don't know if you're saying a single review or a lot of people's uh, opinions of it was it doesn't know whether it wants to be the full Monty or this Spinal Tap. Um, I got that at several points of the movie. I don't know if they were saying 
saying that in terms of because you have this, you know, documentary, uh, this mockumentary or whatever, uh, mixed with a regular movie, I just sort of thought the tone of the movie, there were, there were times in this where I thought they're really going for the full Monty, you know, middle-aged dads, you know, recapturing their glory or whatever, or, uh, you know, <laughs> pleasing ladies, uh, even with their, their, you know, flabby figures or whatever, or if they wanted to go as like a full satire of the music industry. Uh, and there are things in this movie that I think work better as a full Monty style movie. Then there's other things that I think like, especially when you get to the songs, it almost feels like it would work better as this is Spinal Tap, not in terms of a mockumentary, but just as a full on satire. The ending is where it becomes the most obvious. The thing when the cockpit and then the plane crashing and them dying and then the being, that's something that you would see it, whether, whether it was, this is Spinal Tap or any other type of parody movie, like, Austin Powers or Wayne's World or something like that. It, it would fit a movie like that more, but I feel like 75 to 80% of what we got in this movie was the full Monty, and then the other 20% felt full-on satire. And it's just weird that they embraced the full-on satire for the end because we just came off of, even though it's not that well executed, we just came off of this dramatic storyline of, uh, oh yeah, you know, uh, I cheated on you and this might be his daughter. And we had that moment of him having the paternity test, which, again, I love how quickly everything happens here. Their career dies. Uh, he finds out his wife cheats on him. He disappears. He, he's in obscurity, which this is where they said he had nobody seen him in at least a week. <laughs> and he's got the paternity results in his hand. Like all of this happened in a week. Um, and you have this moment where he just decides to burn, which I thought that's kind of a nice moment. He's going to burn it, which very clearly you look at Katie and then you look at. Uh, the two guys and the mom, and you're like, the only one Katie looks like is Benny. Mm -hmm. So I, I, they never resolve that in the movie, which I they're trying to show for the character. Okay, well, it doesn't matter to him. It's his daughter anyways. Uh, but she clearly is his daughter. Like, she looks nothing like Tommy at all uh, and barely looks anything like the mom. But this is this big moment where you're like, okay, his wife is pregnant. He's going to have a child. He's got another daughter he's accepting, whether it's his daughter or not. He's going to forgive the bandmates. And then they all die. <laughs> like, well, you just came off of the dramatic story, which would work in the full Monty, and now you're throwing in the this is Spinal Tap ending. It really doesn't work at all. And the, I think that if the movie had embraced the satire more throughout, having this ending where they just die, I could see 100% how that would work. And then them floating up as angels above the <laughs> the funeral, singing the the uh, seasons in the sun or whatever. Yeah, that totally works if if you weren't coming off of this big dramatic moment. So it was just it was really back and forth. And I, I, I didn't it didn't click with me, but I could see how if the movie wasn't very bipolar and going from one you know way to the other, it could have worked better. Um, this song, though, Season in the Sun, when I was listening, it's not like, you know, I know this song that well. I mean, it's one of these songs you'll probably still hear on the radio, you know, quite frequently or you'll see it pop up in TV shows and movies. Uh, but this is like. Your, your mom song you know my mom would have listened to this therefore i probably would have ignored it like the plague but when it was playing i'm like did they play this song earlier this sounds really familiar and it was only the longer it went on i'm like i know that song that's not a boy town song <laughs> uh but i'm definitely familiar with it uh but yeah the, the whole ending just it, it felt really weird to me and, and i can see what they were going with and i think it's clever it just it didn't work out i think the way that they intended i don't know if how because you are a fan of this movie like you know, does this feel like, oh, we probably could have had a different ending? Or what do you think of it? Uh, I mean, 
as I kind of said, I think like you, you can easily end it after the Arias when it fades straight away. Like that would have just been a simple ending. Boom, you would have mm-hmm. walked out of going, okay, fair enough. They've you know whatever. But like, I don't know. Like I, I definitely can see everything you're saying, and it's never really been something that I've absolutely hated or absolutely loved. I, I mean, I kind of like the idea that it's kind of like, oh well, they all died in a blaze of glory after achieving what they wanted to do. Because I think it's kind of it's handled nicely in a way that you sort of have them all in the the heavens singing down. But it is kind of like I do agree with you. Kind of it's it, it adds a little bit of an issue with like oh there's a bit of a tone issue on this movie. Like it doesn't know what it wants to be a lot of the time. Yeah. But I think I just enjoy this movie so much that I'm I'm fine with it. And again, I enjoy it enough that I can forgive it. It's just it, I I totally get especially when they have that moment on the plane where they're saying you know I think that this needs to be the end of our career. We'll go to the Grammys, but. You know, I want us to go out on top and then we'll go back to our day jobs. And you sort of have that moment. You're like, their day jobs suck. Why would they want to do that? Why wouldn't if they had said, you know, we're going to take our earnings and we're going to achieve. I want to do this and I want to do this and I want to do this. Uh, But the fact that they said we want to go back to our day jobs, I think that's where it it does make sense to end with. Then they all died in a plane crash because at least they went on top. But again, you're just coming off of at least Benny, one character saying, I've got more in my life. I've got a new kid coming. I'm accepting the kid that I have. And then they kill him. If it hadn't been his story, I think that that ending works a lot better. Um, a couple of the things that that really did work well here, though, and a couple of things that didn't. Um, the whole boy A, boy B thing, like going back to mm. the narration thing you talked about. It was like, and then boy A maybe did something or, or boy A maybe did something with, with girl A that boy B was actually with. Like that, that was really funny. Uh when they do the lip syncing thing, like it's a really nice, effective moment. We're not lip syncing. Um, the opposite of that. When they do the acapella thing, it's a really nice moment where he shows up on stage. Like he said, great. That could have been a great ending of the movie. It's a nice triumphant end. Uh, but all I kept thinking myself is like, if if this were a real story and somebody had just been caught in a lip syncing scandal and they come out and they're standing in front of a microphone singing. That could still totally be lip sync if the microphones were off and they were singing to an auditorium. But like, there's no way they could have lip synced that as well. I don't buy that they would just instantly be over the whole lip syncing scandal at that point. Mm. Uh, but still, I mean, everything in this movie's fun. I mean, the songs really went out. And even just that last joke, like, you know, the my favorite character in the entire movie, Boomstein here, or he, he has the, the black box recording. It went platinum or whatever. <laughs> just the fact that they released the black box recording. I just imagine that. That's great. But still, I mean, it, really entertaining movie, despite all the problems I have with this as a movie. It's still so much fun. So I'm with you. There isn't anything I don't enjoy in this. Just a couple of things. There's not a whole lot in our usual kind of closing bits here when it comes to a lot of stuff. I mean, box office-wise, it made just over $3 million, which, again, is just, that's good for an Australian movie because you got to kind of think on that in the grand scheme of things, uh, you know, 10 times that amount, 30-odd million. I mean, it's probably what a movie like this is going to make in America, maybe a bit more, but... Um, yeah. You know, but like if you look at it, so I actually did pull up the the 2006 Australian box office figures, um, and I mean to to put that in context, what I was saying about how certain movies only make like you know 10 million dollars or more. Only 12 movies in 2006 made more than 10 million dollars, and of course Superman Returns was the the one there in 12th, but the highest um, grossing movie in Australia was Pirates of the Caribbean: Dead Man's Chest, which made 28 million dollars. Mm-hmm. But if you, I mean, Boytown in comparison was the 72nd highest ranked. To, well, this box office mojo is saying 2.3 million, but on this other sort of official list, I've got it saying 3.1. But uh, I mean, mm-hmm. big movies released that year that you look here um, Snakes on a Plane made less than Boytown, Zathura made less. 
Um, Final Destination 3 made less. Uh, what else have we got here? My Super Ex-Girlfriend, Children of Men, um, American Dreams, uh, Flags of Our Fathers, Material Girls, you know, some of these semi-big ones. I mean, Kinky Boots, a big British movie that I thought did a lot better in Australia. That only made like a million dollars. So, And then even a few that made a, a just above... Um, uh, Boy Town. So, uh, what have we got here? Like Syriana only made a little bit more. Uh, An Inconvenient Truth, Poseidon, Stick It, uh, Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire only made three point eight million. Uh, but I'm, I'm what? Not, wow. I'm not sure. Is was that based off money well, from the previous year? Like, as in coming? Was that the one released the year before? No. Yeah, probably. I think that was a 2005 movie, yeah. Uh, well, no, according to this, the only Harry Potter movie on the list is The Goblet of Fire. So, oh, interesting. Maybe it was. Maybe it just kind of came out from the money before. But anyway, so um, that's kind of its its box office. Uh, um, it just only has a few on Rotten Tomatoes, 43%. It has, I mean, it was, yeah, as I said, kind of just middle of the road. A um, couple of the audience reviews here say, good idea, poorly executed. Um Somebody says, I heard a fair bit of criticism about this film. I wouldn't recommend it to overseas audiences, um, but it stemmed enjoyment mostly from the familiarity with the comedic cast, uh, which is, I guess, it's a fair point. Uh, and again, not a, not a whole lot of other things to really go off on this one. The, the one thing that sort of came from this too, which was a bit sad, and I, I don't know to this day if it's ever been resolved. So I mentioned about Mick Malloy and Tony Martin, their great collaboration, their radio show in the two, in the 1990s, you know, very well known together, very famous. But supposedly this movie actually broke them up and they had a big rift after this movie because... Solo career? <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> so Tony Martin's character in the movie, Kenny, sort of doing the documentary, they were actually going to release alongside this movie sort of a YouTube channel that was then going to go on like the DVD release, kind of a mockumentary following them around. And Tony Martin had made this, apparently like said it was great. He, he called it like some of the best work he'd ever done. But then Mick Molloy basically said, no, don't release this because it's too good. It's going to take away from the movie. Um, so, and then Tony Martin spent a lot of money on this and kind of, there was just a big fight over the reason why it never got released. And I don't think to this day it's ever been released either. So, um, that apparently broke them up and, uh, 14 years later, I have no clue if they have ever made up since then. So there's a thing. And plot Boy key- Town 2 is possible. <laughs> Who knows? Plot keywords. <laughs> according to IMDb, there are two rock concert and pop music. <laughs> oh, so that's material there. Rock concert month gives us Bohemian Rhapsody, Yesterday, Almost Famous, and the Blues Brothers as our top four. And pop music month would bring us Rocket Man, Bohemian Rhapsody, Atomic Blonde, and Ghostbusters. And then Boy Town just behind. <laughs> yeah, apparently. Um, so Colin Hilding, uh, I'm going to go to you first. What are you doing with this movie? Um. Uh, Again, I'm going to put it in the context of there's nothing I don't enjoy here. But as far as recommending as a movie, I mean, I feel like if you're going to go in this expecting a movie, you're not going to get a very good movie. But you're still going to have fun and you're going to want to see it. Just knowing, though, that I can just listen to a soundtrack or watch just select clips from this, I wouldn't buy it because that's what I'd be more interested in. I would definitely rent this, though. It would be a pretty strong recommendation as far as a rent goes uh, if there was an option to just buy all the musical sequences, I would buy that in a second. But officially, I'm going to go with a, a solid rent. 
I'm officially buying this movie, of course. <laughs> um, this did make my top 50 movies of all time. So, yeah, I love this movie. And it's just it's just one of these ones that I, I swear I end up watching once a year. And then whenever I watch it, I'm like, I want to watch that straight away. So, like, I want to watch it again. But um, I really do enjoy this movie. One thing, we didn't mention at all the director of this movie, Kevin Carlin. This is basically his only length, full-length feature film he's done outside of TV movies. But he actually has done a lot of Australian television directing and he has directed a bunch of episodes of some of my favorite shows that, again, ended up on my top 50s list. So Always Greener, uh, he directed a bunch of episodes of that. Uh, Canal Road, he directed some of that too. Um, but yeah, he's and also Wentworth. A lot of people might be familiar with Wentworth nowadays. He's done a, he's directed a lot of episodes of Wentworth. So he um, he's more esteemed as a television director, but this apparently is his only ever feature-length film he's ever done, which is kind of sad, but... Um, at the same time. He also directed some episodes of Full Frontal and Fast Forward for you there, Colin. So, um, yeah. Nice. There you go. We'll cover those next year. (laughs) We will. Uh, Next week, we move back to Canada, and we are covering... Well, let's be honest. If you're thinking about Canadian sporting movies, or just Canadian movies in general, the two topics you're assuming they're going to cover are ice hockey and curling. We've done ice hockey. Let's get into curling, because we're doing Men With Brooms. And I'll just say right now, I'd never heard of this movie until you told me about it. It took me forever to fucking find it. I finally found it, and I haven't watched it yet. So I have no experience (laughs) in this movie at all. So I'm looking forward to seeing a Canadian movie about curling. Um, You know, when we were picking this, there's other Canadian movies that I definitely enjoy more than Men With Brooms, but I feel like the two that I picked are the ones that are most important as far as like can, successful Canadian movies. This is nowhere near the level of Bon Cop, Bad Cop, success goes. Uh, it would be slightly more successful than Boytown because it actually did hit number one at the box office here in Canada. But that's kind of the reason why I feel it's so important because coming off of all art house movies or very small scale movies, this was like the first Canadian movie, at least within my lifetime, that actually hit number one of the box office. So it outgrossed any American movie. And it went on to become fairly successful. Uh, it's it's remembered, but probably not considered like a classic. I've only seen this movie twice. I saw it when it first came out, and then I saw it a couple of years after that. So I don't have a lot of strong opinions on this movie. It's definitely something I enjoy. Uh, the most uh, interesting about this is we're just going to continue more on how television stars are definitely bigger because – the, the main star and filmmaker of Men With Brooms is probably the only person in this country you could actually say is he a bankable box office draw in Canada of Canadian actors. Uh, you know, there's a lot of Canadian TV stars that if they did a movie, Canadians still wouldn't care. But this is the only guy that if he says, I want to make a war movie, and he's done a couple of those, I want to make a war movie, I want to make an action movie, I want to make a Western because he's a big enough name, they'll just give him whatever he wants. Uh, so Paul Gross, the main star of this, we're going to have a lot to talk about with him, just how successful he is there. But uh, I, and funny thing that never occurred to me is that when I pick these movies, it never occurred to me I was covering something to deal with hockey and something to deal with curling. <laughs> uh, partly because Bon Cop, Bad Cop, I considered more to be an action comedy. But uh, yeah, it just shows how Canadian we are that no matter what we're making, uh, it has to involve hockey or curling. Uh, I, I am waiting for the lacrosse movie to come after that <laughs> the moguls movie maybe um, yes our first leslie nielsen movie that we're ever going to do as well so how crazy is that crazy okay i mean i talked i talked during our sonic review now available uh that that was the first jim carrey movie i think we've ever covered so we need to fix <laughs> that holy crap um but yeah, that'll be coming next week. And as I just alluded to there, our Sonic review is up. Um, thoroughly enjoyable movie. Go and see it. And our Birds of Prey one, 
we will wait for Colin and then we will coming let you know. Soon. Uh, <laughs> coming <laughs> soon. Uh, so stay tuned for that. Outside of our movies, of course, we have Survivor happening, Winners at War, and Australian Survivor as well. Uh, we've also got Total Drama Island still going, Colin. That's still going strong, yes? Mm-hmm. Yep. Listen to it. It's good. And... That's about it, because Lost isn't happening at the moment. It's on an immediate hiatus. So, yep. Anyway, uh, like us on Facebook, follow us. I don't need to say all that now, because you're about to hear somebody teasing all that at the end. It's so much more convenient. Don't have to worry about all that promotional crap. But anyway, uh, thanks for listening to this episode. Let's close it out by saying that my name is Oh, 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 Ben Town. I'm Ben Town. Population one. This is the end of the podcast. We are done. And uh, my name is Colin, and uh, I still consider you to be my baby. No, wait. Angel. Thanks for downloading this episode from the Oz Network. Make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing to the podcast via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or by copying our RSS feed into your preferred podcast provider. And while you're there, please drop us a rating and leave us some feedback. You can also be sure to stay up to date with all the latest episodes and happenings from the show, as well as find out how you can get involved in upcoming episodes by following our social media pages on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, as well as getting everything you need under one roof at theoznetwork.net. Thanks once again for listening, and we'll speak to you next time.